Unc, you can start. Black African power was good, was happening, a well-organized lie. Defeats a disorganized truth every time. Woohoo, we man, y'all already know what it is, man. What's good, family, man? It's Amaral Squad up, man. Hey, it's a beautiful day, man. We got the squad on deck. Um, powerful show tonight. Okay, let me start off with um Dr. Oyamayat. I'm a raw squad up. I'm in Raw Squad up, brother Onk. How are you? Hey, it's beautiful to see you here. Beautiful sister. Hey, beautiful to be back, brother. Beautiful, be beautiful to be back. I just want to um salute you know the brothers and sisters on the panel, brother Ujawu, uh, brother Saimotep, and my sister, Sister Naya. I just want to salute them and then also the members of the squad who are present with us. Peace and power to the brothers and sisters in the chat room. Happy to be here. Mm -hmm. Sister Naya, what's good? I'm a raw squad up. What's up, everyone? I'm a raw squad up. I'm just excited to be here tonight. Get an opportunity to get a lesson and also to build and also to discuss what we need to do to move forward in our community as a whole. So I'm just thankful for being here with you guys. Mm. Look, do me a favor, um, uh, since now you removed the avatars. What you got to do is you got to open up that, um, go to your left. What's she open up, Wuja? Uh, let's just keep going. I can, I don't need that. Yeah. Let's just keep oh. going with introductions. Let's not stop in the middle, please. All right, okay. All right. I know you know how to do it. All right, like you've been driving the car, or just or just chat, just chat, just throw it in the chat. You don't gotta stop the whole show. Oh man, it's all good, man. We got a lot of family. Woo, job. What's good, brother? I'm in raw squad up. Oh, pardon me, my mic was muted. I'm a raw squad up. Uh, Black African power to the family, to the listeners. Uh, want to greet, say, ETM Hotep. And greet the panel, uh, Sister Naya, who's always on fire, uh, Dr. Oya Maat. Uh, first of all, Dr. Maat, you need to stop playing. You're not back. You always, you know, you always right. here anyway. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> uh, Brother Asai Motep, uh, with his controversial title of tonight's <laughs> show, we about to go in. So you know, uh, and the brother Uncle Kek, the God Killer, uh, is in the house. So uh, this is Brother Wajau, and I'm ready to, to uh, let's let's kick it. Let's kick it. Brother Saw, what's good? I'm a raw squad up. Peace, peace. This is Brother Saw. Uh, happy to be um, conversing with the, the community today. Peace and blessings to the whole Armin Raw squad. Massive. Brother Unk, Dr. Oya, <laughs> Sister Naya, uh, Brother Wujawu, and all the other members who could make it on the panel uh, today. So um, we have a very important conversation, and I look forward to getting y'all insights. And um, you know, we'll build. Shout out to Black Panther. All right. Uh, you know how it is, man. So, you know, we're gonna have a powerful discussion. Uh, we're gonna have some topics. Uh now nah, you got the topics, you wanna read the topics? Well, you want me to do it? No. no. No way. All right, I guess I can read this. Hey, Wuja. Yes, sir. You got the topics? 
All right. We are reading our agenda for tonight's show. Our agenda for tonight's show is going to be, uh, well, the whole show is entitled Africans Aren't Africans. Uh, yeah, Africans Aren't Africans. That's going to be very interesting. Uh, we're also going to touch on uh, pragmatics and semantics in language. Uh, we're going to touch on uh, um, a recent statement that was made by uh, uh, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in regards to slavery. Um, we're going to discuss about nation building, and then we're just going to open it up for, uh, you know, current events or whatever uh, uh, discussions, open discussion. Yeah, you missed like you missed one. I sure did. Oh, I said we're gonna discuss MBK strawman argument. Mm-hmm. Miss nothing. I like to say it. I like to get right to it. Yeah, plain and simple. So, all right. So let's start off. Where you had a song? Since you came with the controversial title, Africans aren't Africans. What is meant by that? I Man. know we all got our sources on it. Um, I mean, <laughs> matter of fact, one of the sources I'm using is Bacala Tribe of North America. All right. Okay, I'm gonna be definitely using that. Um, first, let, let me do this, man. Let, let me put some of the books in here. All right, we got the Collar Tribe, North America. We're gonna be using this, right? Uh, this is one of my favorite books right here, the Handbook for the Conscious Community, Manage Our Arches. All right, we also got Meltrex, uh, Part One, Part Two. Okay, um, where your books at? Show y'all books, man, so the people can see the works. It's a lot of works right here, man. Then we got the chronology of human evolution. All right, I'm going to show that later. I ain't got that right here. I'm moving so quick, right? Um, you know, and you know, we got Abjuware. All right, so this whole thing brought to you by Abjuware. Uh, y'all support. Y'all go to AmaralSquad.org. Y'all go to Mocha University. Uh, go to Meltrex. What is it, Meltrex.com? Nah, EdAnimeProductions.com. But if they Google Meltrex, the, the website will pop up. Okay, also, you got Voices of Fire. All right, go to that blog, Voices of Fire. Uh, uh, Shashu Mani Madanecha. Okay, um, go there. Uh, make sure you go to abjuware, A B D J U W E A R dot com. Also, man, you know, the home of the Amara Squad and Moss Clan Warriors, um, Black Dog Bookstore and Cultural Center. You know what I'm saying? So if y'all in the area, you know, y'all make sure y'all stop through. It's on Main Street in Lithonia. So, you know what it is. So let's go ahead and get this powerful show started. You know what I'm saying? Assad, like I said, five years ago, we'd have been fighting, talking about Africans ain't Africans. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, Assad? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Seriously, like, you know, this is, this, you know, come on now. You know, our whole thing is Africa. So, you know, how now we talking about this? So let's get into it, and y'all gonna enjoy yourself. Quick, brother, Assad. All right, peace. Um, I, I made that statement uh, for for several reasons, because there was there was many different arguments uh, that I was involved in on Facebook, uh, based on just just various different things. But you know, one of the more heated ones was on the the topic which we addressed. Uh, I don't know if it was a week ago or two weeks ago on the Kanye West commentary um, of, of the four hundred years uh, uh, slavery. Uh, looks like a choice to me comment. And in that discussion, I, I showed a video clip of Dr. Carl Anderson, who basically repeated the same things that Kanye West said in a totally different interview and earlier than Kanye's on The Breakfast Club. 
And so in that conversation, he says that not one, as far as the African, uh, the, the transatlantic slave uh, trade or Holocaust, not one African ship was created and built and went and sailed to the Americas to come rescue black people. And some people took offense to that. And I said, it makes perfect sense because Africans aren't Africans. And when I say this, I understand, like even when I use it in just colloquial conversation or in my academic works, um, I try to put it within context because there's the first layer that, you know, in modern times we have a concept of a continent and that continent has been labeled um, by Europeans, Africa. And so by definition, any culture and population that was born and developed on that continental space is an African. Same thing with an Asian or European or North American, South American, whatever. But I'm not talking about simply populations that evolved in their, their uh, respective locations. I'm talking about an identity. And in this discourse, you know, I often find, just not in the one with, with Kanye West, I always find myself in these debates with continental black folks on what is protocol and what is African or not. And so they try to use on us, African-Americans, the fact that they are quote unquote Africans. And that, you know, this gives them somehow some kind of precedence when speaking on things, quote unquote, African. And I have to remind them that Africans aren't Africans. My argument is that the only real Africans are the African-Americans because we are the ones who identified as Africans. They never identified themselves as Africans. When you speak to somebody on the continent, they, they speak in terms of their indigenous uh, heritage. I am an Igbo, I am uh, Nuri, I am um, Tutsi, I am Hutu, I am, I'm a Zulu, I am Wolof, et cetera, et cetera. They never say I'm African because African isn't their identity. And so when I think about this context of uh, uh, identity, I'm reminded of the criterion that was uh, developed, or I should say expressed and used as a model for his research. And, um, and I'm talking about Dr., the late Dr. Shek Antadia. And in his works, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold up two works real quick. That is Civilization or Barbarism and Black Africa, the Economic and Cultural Basis for a Federated State. In Civilization or Barbarism, starting on chapter 14, I think it's page 211, he talks about how you identify with uh, uh, how do you create an identity or, or whatnot? How do you know that 
uh, a population identifies with each other. And he gives three common factors. And so he says that there's a historical factor, there's a linguistic factor, and then there's a psychological factor. I see, I think Brother Wuja has um, posted um, those three uh, factors uh, on his um, on his screen. Now, I, 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 oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, Dr. Oya, I apologize. <laughs> um, put up on her screen um, the the definitions of, of these, and so hopefully it is uh, put on her screen so the the viewing audience can see um, while I'm talking. And so uh, I'll just read from her screen. You know, the cultural identity can be defined as a collective personality formed by three key factors or key three elements. The historical conscious, or what he says factor, which is the cognizant of past events. Language, uh, the system of words or signs that people use to express thoughts and feelings to each other. And psychology or the psychic factor, the mental or behavioral characteristics of an individual or group. And so when, when we think about the historical consciousness, we're talking about a, a palpable understanding and recognition of a common heritage for that population. Whether this heritage, uh, they, they see themselves as having a common history. And so that all leads to some, you know, historical defining series of events or point. So whether this history is um, based on, you know, some kind of unifying factors like a war or a drought or something to this nature that brought the people together or some mythological ancestor for which everyone identifies. There's some consciousness that we have a common heritage and history, uh, a recent history. So that's the historical factor. Then there is the linguistic factor. These people in the population speak the same language. They can understand each other. Wherever that population exists, they have a way to communicate with each other. And then there's the psychic factor which is connected to the linguistic factor. And this has to deal with the way that the a population sees the world and, and how they behave in their values and things of this nature that is shared collectively amongst the group. And because they have a shared value, because they have a common culture, they have a common expectation for how they interact with each other. And so when you factor in all these three, these key uh, factors, when we look at Africa as a whole, you cannot argue that they are Africans yet by this definition of having a common identity because they don't speak a common language. On the ground, they do not see themselves as having a common heritage. And um, they, because they don't have a common language and can't speak to each other, of course, even though we recognize as researchers uh, common ways of expressing themselves across the continent and common values, they don't see that because they don't interact with each other like that. And so um, the, I, the African themselves is really kind of an ideal for the continent. And so when I say that African-Americans are, 
are the true Africans is that's because we identified with each other as African, especially at one point. And so when we came out of uh, uh, slavery and started creating institutions and started writing and things of this nature, they identified themselves as Africans. And even their institutions was labeled the Africanist Insurance Company, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the African Lodge. Everything was African, even to this very date, to the point that our identity is called African-American. African being our common identity and America being our citizenship, our place of citizenship. We still identify ourselves as African and with Africa. You would not hear someone say, I'm African Igbo. I'm African Yoruba. I'm African Asante. Because they don't identify themselves with being African. And because this has consequences, real life consequences, when they don't identify, don't have that common identity. And that is because, for example, we all have heard, or we should have all heard, about the slave trade still going on in Libya. And so it's video of the Africans being enslaved and sold in auctions and all of this other kind of stuff, a throwback to the 1600s still present today in modern Libya, right now as we speak. So the question linking right back to Dr. Anderson's commentary, why hasn't not one African country organized and mustered its military forces to go into Libya and rescue those African people? The reason why is because Africans aren't Africans. They don't see themselves as one. And so the problem in Libya, that's just those folks, they have to deal with it on their own. And this is a fundamental weakness of Africa. Mm -hmm. And so this is why when you read, for example, Shekhan Diop's Black Africa, the economic and cultural basis for a federated state, you'll get a clear understanding of why he did the research that he did. Because he was trying to inform the Africans on the ground of their common historical heritage so that they can see for themselves and it be palpable that, um, someone's gonna have to mute their mic. I think that's you, huh? <laughs> um, their common historical heritage and their linguistic heritage. So you see that he has been using ancient Egyptian, Wolof, and other languages to show the commonality between these languages. And so, you know, if you have a commonality in your languages, you must have existed as one people at some time in history. And so he's using this as a basis to get more people on the continent of Africa to before a before a not before like in terms of times but before the notion of a united states of africa that we combine our states and become one unit and so but he doesn't leave it to where we're just you know we just create the states and then you know everybody becomes the individual states and remain the individuals that they are he talks about creating a new culture not just simply rehashing old culture. 
He understands that culture is dynamic and it must, as Dr. Amos Wilson talks about, it must solve problems. And so he's very critical of, you know, the, the, the culture, the African cultures of the past and, and notices what needs to be, um, what needs to evolve for the current situation to exist. And he also, you know, seeks and wants to promote a common language that everyone speaks. So that, for example, you can start having inter-African tourism. And so you can't build, what he argues is that you can't build, you know, uh, and maintain a United States of Africa without um, creating the common culture. And so that reminds us of, and I know Dr. Oya will be able to appreciate, chapter three of Blueprint for Black Power, starting oh, yeah. at 56. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to read necessarily from it. I'm just going to read the title because the title tells you everything. Chapter three of the Blueprint for Black Power, Dr. Amos Wilson, is the social and cultural origins of power. And so this is something that Diop recognized earlier on that the culture is the basis of their power and that they need to create a new culture. He says it explicitly. Let me see if I can find um, real quick. I'm looking also for I'm sorry? I'm looking also for you, brothers. I'm looking. Because he does say it. Shout out to Q, but I see you in there, bro. Keep working with them babies, man. <laughs> Keep working with them babies, man. Hard to find another black atheist. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to find another real atheist. Shout out that move. Hold on, I'm gonna, read, I'm gonna read a couple of uh, paragraphs real quick, and, right. and shows the mission. And and, and I want to say this before uh, I move on: is that we have to keep these truths in mind so we understand the scope of the work that we do, and and how much more we have to go. And so if we assume certain things are true and move forward as if they are, it will further delay, you know, our uh, the the realization of our goals because we haven't accurately assessed the situation. And so on page 24, starting on page 24 of Black Africa, Shekanta Diop, he says the historical mission of West Africa to a large extent consists in taking advantage of the facilities history has given it to lose no time in becoming a powerful federated state capable of freeing the rest of the continent by force if need be rather than continuing indefinitely in weakness and divisiveness and with the declamatory promises of opportunistic patriots he says uh, on page, what is this, 25, I'm going to skip down half a paragraph. National problems are still being met with a bureaucratic mentality. This accounts for the lack of cultural policies worthy of the name in the first independent West African nations. None has adopted a systematic policy of the restoration of the national language 
and the only ones to adopt African languages as their official tongues have been uh, Tanzania and Kenya with Kiswahili. Skip down a little bit more. None has attempted without delay to set up a powerful modern army with a properly equipped air force, civilian train, unsuited to the uh, pooch, it's somewhere, I don't know what this means, poochesses, uh, common in Latin America and capable of measuring up on short notice to historical tasks we may find um, facing us. On the contrary, we risk having nothing more than an embryo. We have nothing more than embryo armies with outmoded equipment, no air force, no ballistic missiles, yet counterbalanced by ultra-modern dictatorial policy uh, forces. Nothing will do but that we make up for the relative ease of our liberation through an immense effort of political education and cultural formation. Otherwise, we may find ourselves opposing foreign nationalisms that are still expansive and inured to armed struggle with a mere folkloric nationalism endowed only with the piebald local colors of our native woven fabrics. And what he's what he's saying here, so uh, Brother Unk mentioned my uh, second book, which is the Bacala of North America, where uh, I introduced this concept of the African-American Cultural Development Project. And the first order of business is um, thinking of a name that is suitable for us, um, you know, based on African traditions and things of that nature. And that's essentially my argument. But in that, I talk about, of course, the need for the creation of a new culture. And so you have to, for example, I remember Dr. Malefe Kenti Asante some years ago saying, asking the question, what kind of culture must we have in order to repel the expansion of European white supremacy? What mm -hmm. mechanisms must be in place? Is that our culture right now? And you know, to truthfully answer, it would be no. And so, when when I, when I heard that, and I really started studying, you know, um, Karanga's work and some other people's work from back in the day, I realized that the cultural piece was missing. And so, but no one was talking about how to create the new culture. But you know, these this is one of the books that I um, I referenced and explored in terms of the need of a new culture that is able to meet the needs of, uh, of the present and is robust enough, but flexible enough to meet the challenges of the future. And so as we can, as I just read, check out the Diop is not talking about rehashing some old stuff that does not work. He talks about the formation of a new African culture. And so when we're talking about culture, he's talking about the historical, psychic, and linguistic factors that we mentioned earlier. In other words, creating the African on the continent. And, and, and this is what's missing this for this day. So while someone, somebody's talking about, you know, I'm, I'm like, no, you're Igbo, you're Hausa, you're Wolof, you're not African yet you know, until the Africans on the continent make these moves that Shankanta Diop was talking about, you know, uh, back in the day. And so um, hopefully I explained myself uh, 
to to a great degree and, and with clarity. So if anyone has any statements or comments, you know, um, you have the floor. Now, I was just wanted to say, um, brother, saw that, um, you know, you, you provided the, the, the family or the, the viewers with good references. Um, in fact, in Blueprint for Black Power, um, I'm looking at page 63 right now. And yeah. Dr. Amos Wilson uh, has an entire section devoted to the need for a new African self-identity. He talks about that, you know, and at the bottom of this page, he says that the salvation, empowerment and liberation of African peoples require, requires an appropriate, thorough, pragmatic cultural analysis of the deculturation and reculturation of ourselves by dominant European peoples of reactionary black culture and their social products represented by reactionary black identities. He says that we must analyze how these identities, whether considered pro-social or anti-social, function to maintain the oppressive power of whites and the subordinate powerlessness of blacks. He says our, salva our salvation further requires that we perceive white supremacy as a major social, political, economic, and spiritual problem to be resolved by African peoples. And that is, and you were saying that Dr. Malife Asante posed the same questions. He says mm -hmm. in that we ask and answer definitively the questions, what kind of culture must we construct in order to overthrow white supremacy? What kinds of social identities, relations, arrangements, alignments, institutions, values, et cetera, which when actualized will allow us to obtain and protect our liberty, enhance our quality of life, what kinds of socialization practices must we institute in order to empower ourselves to become the kinds of people we must become if we are to secure our right to be free? So he says, certainly the answers lie in the directions of the reclamation of our African identity and the reconstitution of our African-centered consciousness supported by commensurate African-centered cultural, political, I'm sorry, social, political, economic values, institutions, and relations. So I just wanted to back you up on that, that that is the sort of stuff that Dr. Amos Wilson is talking about um, in Blueprint for Black Power. I don't know if people can see my screen, but you see what she has there is what I have highlighted. Yeah. Yes. Underlined. yes. Uh, hey, uh, I wanted to add add on to that build, uh, Asar, if I can. Go ahead. Um, and I think this, I think the uh, family will appreciate this as well, or should. And that is um, what you described it also applies even further back in history in ancient times. And I think that that context needs to be uh, considered when we talk about Kemet and Kush and Nubia. And I see a lot of people make the mistake and will will say that, you know, Kush and, and Kemet or the Nubians and the Egyptians are the same people and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And based on the record itself, they did not see themselves as the same people for those very reasons that you just gave, um, Asar. And so even though they share cultural artifact, uh, cultural uh, items and materials, even though the ancestors may have come from the South and so on and so forth, they did not see themselves as the same people. And this is made very, very clear in the literature because what people are calling the four so-called races of man uh, uh, in the tomb of um, Seti I, uh, those are actual people that are, had the closest ties with the Egyptians over the long period of time. You had the West people, the Middle Eastern people, the South people to them, and then the Egyptians themselves. So you had the Nahisu, which were everybody south of Kemet. You had the uh, Chimay or the Chihinu, 
which were everybody to the west of Kemet, including the Libyans or the Libu. And then you have the Amu uh, that were considered coming from the Levant area. And that was basically the base, basic generalization that the Egyptians had of these different people that they saw as different people. And so we have to be careful and, and, and uh, make sure that we uh, keep that under consideration while we talk about, uh, and it just doesn't take away from, from Kush or uh, what people call Nubia and things. And so, and also last thing is that um, once, when, whenever, whenever a separate, separate group of people, when you have multiple groups of people that are separate from each other and are distinct from each other, when they join forces and become a confederation, it's understood that there has to be a certain um, relinquish, relinquishing of power. You have, to, you have to submit some portion of your sovereignty in order to join forces into a confederacy. And we see that in the United States. The 50 states of the United States that came together and was constituted as the United States of America, every state is sovereign uh, within itself, but it, had, but it gave over some of their sovereignty uh, can y'all hear me? Mm -hmm. Hey, we listen. Okay. It it gave each state had to give over some of its sovereignty in order to join this union, and that's just a principle of of polities or or the unification process. And so some some independent tribes or independent communities don't want to do that, and so they're having a hard time unifying in that way. Some of them do, but this is something that's understood, and so this is the beef that some of these neighboring people had with Kemet specifically. And so this is why you see this little beef uh, that was going on, even though they're, they uh, may look alike and so on and so forth. So I want to put that forth to the family for consideration when you have these conversations about these different people in these different areas. The, those that agreed to join forces created a smaller uh, polity, such as uh, the Ta-Nehisu. And then within that, you had different clans and different communities that, that did agree just like you have the Libyans that came, came uh, uh, various different Libyans come together under the Ch Chime uh, group of people and so on and so forth. So I want to put that uh, forth and let people know. Okay. All right. Um, Hold on. Point. Hold on. Uh, I just, I just want to, I want to add uh, to, to what Wujawu said in, in the context of, of what I mean by, you know, just, just some, some living proof about you know africans aren't africans um on my screen hopefully y'all can see my screen um uh, you know let me know if y'all can or not uh i have it and a blog post um i can't find the blog post now um but luckily i saved it and and so the title of the blog post is being african without knowing it by and i know i'm probably saying this all wrong obododima oha um, out of nigeria and i'll just read the first couple paragraphs he says my maternal grandmother who died some years ago at a very ripe age of 120 did not know she was african I had cause to ask her one day whether she knew or whether she knew she lived on a large continent called Africa and had an African identity. She looked at me with great amazement and then answered in the Yoruba language, uh, translating into English, I am from Uri. Our people are Igbo. 
Grandma lived and died Onye Uri, or Uri citizen, and Onye Ibo, an Ibo person. There was no argument and no evidence I presented that could convince her that she was otherwise. She believed that no one had a right to put her where she did not belong or desire to belong. Her own time, imagination, and science educated her that the next clan was another nation, even if that other clan spoke clear Igbo and had similar gods or celebrated similar festivals as those of, of those of the Uri nation. Being Uri and being African at the same time was, for her, one of those confusions introduced by those who attended the white man's schools, worshiped the white man's gods, spoke the white man's language, and bore the white man's names. Grandma had a right to refuse Africanness and to insist on her Uriness. Not that she detested being African or that she did not have a dark skin, her own cultural education installed on her mind a strong conviction that a group of people cannot be named or even renamed by another. She believed that a name given to a group of people by another group is merely used in teasing or insulting them. Her own theory says that there is a difference between what a group calls itself and what others prefer to call that group. And I'll just end it there. And I want to juxtapose that commentary with an excerpt that I cited in um, the Bacala of North America. Uh, really? You're going to use a reference I'm going to use. Really? Right. <laughs> really? You know, you like went over. I didn't want to stop you. Hey, hey brother, brother saw. Uh huh. Well, no, you go ahead, brother and Bill. I just wanted to kind of back up what you were, what you just read. Um, you know, when you said that his grandmother said, "Well, no, you know, I'm whatever her tribe was." You said Igbo, right? Yes, Igbo and, and Uri Nation specific. Right. So she's like, "I'm not them." Remember, Doctor Amos Wilson tells us, and I'm on page five eighteen right now, and you probably had this paragraph highlighted too. He says go. that uh, he says the sense of a nation is central. He says that this sense of nation is not founded in terrain nor the infrastructure of other networks or systems. It is only founded in the minds of the members of a self-identified populace. It is from, it is, I'm sorry, it is from this sense of belonging to a social group, of belonging to a social and immaterial entity which transcends their individual egos that a national people embarks on the development of a physical infrastructure reflecting their social relationships in spite of the demographic distribution according to regions, cities, villages, settlements, and the like. So Dr. Amos Wilson tells us right there that that concept of a nation has to exist in the minds of the people first. So I just wanted to back up what you were saying with the words of the ancestor. Yeah, I mean, and and, and it's, it's, it's clear when we understand this. So we're not saying that you know, uh, what I'm saying is that, you know, the African right now is an ideal. It is a goal for the African continent. Right. And as soon as they, you know, are, are able to, to unify state-wise, decide on a language and, um, and, and create this new culture, then in the minds, they will have a sense of what it means to be African. And, and they will be able to, to create the armies, for example, 
to to be able to to quell in you know insurrections like what we see in uh, northern Nigeria with the Boko Haram. Like Boko Haram should have been stopped a long time ago. You know, um, and the slave trade going on in Libya, Morocco, and places like this, Fact. it shouldn't exist because you know you you would have all of these people combining their resources and identify with each other as such. And so, of course, we know that there's forces, you know, trying to keep Africans separated so that this doesn't become a reality because they understand the power of when um, these Africans, uh, these these Africans come together to become Africans, you know. And so this is one of the reasons why they try to keep them away from people like us, because we start bringing that pan-African identity uh, ideal and then they start thinking about, you know, their sovereignty and power and stuff to this nature. So, you know, when they come to this country, we don't give them, they don't give them blueprint for black power. No. They give them some other text. Ah, facts. Let me jump right here real quick. Um, like, you know, my favorite group, shout out to the Mossy Clan. All right, Mossy Clan Warriors. And um, when me and Ben decided to form the Mossy Clan Warriors, uh, we was thinking about bringing how different ethnic groups, right, of African people came together. They was like separate nations and they came together. This what made them powerful. But it also proves that they didn't think they was one homogenous group. Although like they wouldn't have the science of DNA to know that they was a part of the same family down the line. You know what I'm saying? They, they just wouldn't have known that, right? And on page 209, um, talking about the remarkable uh, Masis, right? Um, that's exactly what they did. I don't want to read that, right? But I do just give me all the page on destruction of the black civilization, right? You got If you haven't read this book, then then you ain't you ain't really getting it. This is a hell of a starting point for you. You know, I like develop myself out of this, all right? But what I do want to do is I want to use um, before Saw use it. Text. <laughs> All right. Okay. And, you know, this was eye opening for me about four or five years ago when I first read into it because we was having a discussion on the term Africa. And I see in the trap room, we were trying to figure out where it come from. All right. So I want to kind of answer some of the uh, people in the chat room's questions on that. Where's where it come from? Uh, there's no really scholarly consensus on consensus on that. But I think um, Assad does uh, one of the better jobs that I've seen. Okay. What I will tell you is, is that uh, Scipio Africanus, the continent was not named after him. And I'll explain that in a minute. But I want y'all to hear this on page 23. I'll get this book. I think Sister Naya got it. Um, I'm not sure if you got it yet, um, Dr. Mayat. You got it, don't you? No, I'm going to grab it. You were telling me about it. You've been telling me about it for a minute. So it's the Bacala um, of North America the living sons of vitality, all right? And I guess uh, Brother Saw, uh, he'll explain later on how he chose the word Bacala, right? I like it too. So he says, so why not just call ourselves African? So really, Saw has been planning this for years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe, you, we, you, you know, it's just, it's levels to what we're doing here, okay? Like, people throw the word around real lightly scholar. Now, I've never considered myself a scholar. I consider myself a universal street scholar, like I self-taught myself. Um, 
And but that doesn't not make you a scholar. Like scholars participate in scholarly conferences, uh, scholars write, uh, scholars debate other scholars. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it's a level to it, right? So I don't just run around giving myself titles, right? Because I'm around the level. I'm around Dr. Mayotte. I'm around Smash Rockwells. I'm around Wuja. I'm around Sister Naya, Brother Ben, uh, Brother Nahisi, right? And I understand what the level is. And, and let me say this to y'all. Do y'all know why I'm great? Does anybody know why I'm great? Y'all don't know. Let me tell you why I'm great. I'm great because I have great friends. That's why Brother Ong is great, because he has great friends. So put yourself around other great people and you will be great, right? I just want to leave that. I want y'all to understand that. If you're the smartest person in the room, get out that room. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm a prime example of it. I promise you. I, I mean, you know, I'm a prime example of it. You know, I got the hell out the damn room. Right. And I decided to take instruction. And, and I learned, you know, back in the blog talk days, man, I was reigning supreme on the Nikki Lovin' Unk show. You know, little did I know, Brother Saw was right beside me, having real scholars on his program. You know what I'm saying? It didn't have the, uh, it might not have the amount of people coming to the show, because like always, people just don't know. They don't understand the level. I'm howling and screaming. I guess I sound real good. I lie to you not, Brother Saw been doing blog talk as long as I have been. With real scholars. I suggest y'all go back and listen to his show. This is damn near nine years ago. All right, this is nothing new. Well, let me read this. It says, I know there will be those in the nationalist community who object to any name other than Africa. And for good reason. As Professor James Smalls would always stress to me, African-Americans are the only ones who can truly call themselves African. You got to understand the magnitude of that statement right there. And I think Y'all kind of covered that. Okay. African-Americans represent a large gene pool of people from the continent of Africa to date because of the invasions of colonial powers. It forced the captives from various ethnic groups from West to Central Africa to become one people in the United States. Yeah, we need to start taking pride in that. I'm just telling y'all right now. Don't nobody love us, you know what I'm saying, but us. We got to start loving ourselves and recognize that. Goes on to say, this gives us the right to truly call ourselves Africans as we truly represent a large number of groups from the continent who recognize themselves as one people. Now watch how he do this on page 24. He said, with that said, we still have the problem of meaning when it comes to the name Africa. We have adopted the name because all we know at this point is that we come from the continent of what is now called Africa. The transcontinental Holocaust, right, served our individual, severed our individual cultural ties and our cultural connections to names and meanings. Because we lost our individual connection to specific ethnic groups, the whole continent of Africa became our point of Connectivity. That's a key word. Connect. We it connected us all together. Get that. So the African Americans 
right, are really the first group, right, of continent Africa to really connect all the groups together. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's real interesting right there. We're very, very special. Now, for y'all to think that the word Africa comes from um, Cipricanus, right? Let me come get this little book right here. Nice little read. Complete idiot's guide. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> when you say source. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I ain't calling y'all idiots, but I promise you, yo. You know what I'm saying? We do it sometime. I'm going to page 85. Watch this. All right? Because I'm tired of people saying that. It say they're, it say they're at the Battle of Zambia. Zama. Right? Scipio defeated Hannibal. Now, at this time, the Carthaginians were called uh, Africans. Right? Because that's the province. Right, so Africa was really a, pro a Roman province. Africa was a province of Rome, and it wasn't applied to the whole continent. It was definitely applied right to the Carthaginians, to which Hannibal was a part of. All right, so now we got to really take a look. So watch this: what they say? It say Scipio defeated Hannibal in 202 BCE. Rome became the masters of Western Mediterranean, and Scipio received the title. Africanus, the conqueror of Africa. Now, did he conquer the whole continent? No. No. No, he didn't. He conquered that small area to which Hannibal was a part of. So the roaming naming ceremony is whenever you defeat your enemies, right, in honor, you take on their name. Right? So although the white boy applied it, right, this name actually comes from Berber tribes, right, in Africa. So I just wanted to kind of add that little piece right there, all right, to kind of clear that up, right? So we clear. Me personally, I love the name African-American, right, because I think it actually makes us uh, uh, real, real, brings us together, regardless of what you think you believe and don't believe, all right? So um, you had something from UNESCO, didn't you, sis? Yes, brother. And I was just saying, uh, do you remember sending me this screenshot a long time ago? It's up on my screen. You had um, texted to me. Because remember, at one point in time, I believe that the continent of Africa was named after uh, Scipio Africanus. And you had screenshotted, well, you took a, a picture of um, the page that you just read and you texted to me. So I'm holding up on the screen. This is what you sent me, brother. Um, remember this? Um. Uh, all right, I heard you. Yep, I, I remember that. All right, cool, cool. cool. So, <laughs> all right, so while I have my screen up, um, this is a PDF of the General History of Africa, Volume 1, Methodology in African Prehistory. Um, I think you sent me this, um, this PDF a while ago. Um, either you sent it to me or brother saw. But anyway... In the section entitled General Introduction, the author has a note. It says, note by the volume editor. And they speak about or describe the origin of the word Africa. Hold on, hold on one second. Mm -hmm. uh, as you're sharing your screen on the live, uh, we were trying to communicate with Sister Naya so she can get the focus on who actually is speaking, but it's still stuck on me. 
Oh yeah, and it's still saying it's screaming everywhere. Where is Naya? So Naya needs to. Is she there still? Is she fixing something to eat? Uh huh. Let me see. I'm gonna call her real quick. Okay, so brother, saw did anyone see this? The little um, screenshot of um. We can see it here, but the uh, live the actual audience, audience can see it because the they, audience won't be able to see it. Well, why is she screen sharing? We don't need a screen share. It's it's not that she's screen sharing. Wow. She do focus was on. Um, oh, it's still on you. Yeah. Well, right now. Yeah, it's still on me. I mean, I could just read it, but I I wanted the people to see it and so that they could kind of read along, but. You guys just want me to read it or you want me to wait for Sister Naya? It's on you. You can go ahead. The screen is on you right now. Why is it saying you're presenting everywhere? I'm not presenting nothing. Stop talking. You said what? What'd you say? He said stop talking off. Yeah, she bugging. She disappeared, come back like the Holy Ghost. Come on, <laughs> hey, but one one quick second. Um, even it's though it's on, even though it's clicked, it's still on Osar on the on right. the live side. So what has to happen is you gotta reset them all and then just let whoever the speaker is, it will show up. <laughs> she couldn't even say it right. Phone and, <laughs> and I know uh the, the live, I, I, know the family, delay. I know the family yep. is uh let me let me let me shake and see. Yeah. Now now I'm looking at my phone on the delay. I can't. I know the family's wondering like what's going on. So yeah, like showing show yeah. the side, but everybody else is talking. Yeah. <laughs> they say you are presenting to everyone. I'm not presenting. Why is it saying that? Because you you are still uh are you at the screen share or is that someone else? I don't know where I'm at, yo. I'm looking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I see it now. Hold on. It, it, it came for a second. So I guess you just start talking, Dr. Oya, and it'll be focused. All right, on. all right. Now we now we now we back to normal. All right, there it is. There it is. So uh, whoever's whoever's talking now will be up. All right. So uh Dr. Maya, you your screen is showing. All right, cool. I just wanted to tell the folks that um, the excerpt that Brother Ong just read from his book, Brother Ong, what was the title of the book again? It was called Roman History for Idiots or something. Okay. So anyway, in chapter six of the text that he just read, um, this is a screenshot of it. Um, if you guys want to rewind and, and pause it and read it for yourself, here it is. Just wanted to show you that. And also in the general history of Africa, um, Volume One, Methodology in African Prehistory. Um, they describe the origins of the word Africa under the general introduction. So I'm going to read it. It's just a few paragraphs. I know that Brother Sar and um, Ujawa will probably eat me up because I, you know, some of these words. Whew. So anyway, I'm going to go through it. But it says that the origin of the word Africa has been difficult to elucidate, it became the accepted term from Roman times onwards in the form Africa, replacing the originally Greek or African or Egyptian word Libya mm -hmm. in the land of Labu or Libans in Genesis. 
from designating the North African coast, the word Africa became or came to be applied to the whole continent from the end of the first century before our era. But what was the original meaning of the name? Starting with the most likely explanations, the following versions have been proposed. So as Brother Ong stated earlier, there's no consensus of um, uh, as to what the word actually means or where it came from. So it says, starting with the most likely explanations, the following versions have been proposed. The word Africa is thought to come from the name of the Berber people who lived, in, in, who lived to the south of Carthage or Afrique or what is this word, brother Saw? Or Alju? Let me see. Where you at? Which this one? one right here. This one right here. I'm gonna keep on going. It says Aruga. when is that? Uh, what is it? Araja or Roga? Roga. Uh-huh. Oh, it's it's um the O U is is pronounced like a V. So it's Afriga. Oh, not, not in America, bro. <laughs> so the O U is a V, so it's Avriga. Yeah, exactly. So oh, it's okay. Avriga. So that's why it's uh that's how it became Afri Afrique or Africa. Mm -hmm. Oh, Afrique or Avriga. Okay. Yeah, Afrique. It says went Africa or Africa to denote the land of Afrique. Another derivation of the word Africa is that it comes from two Phoenician terms, one of which means an ear of corn a fertility symbol in that region, and the other, Farikia, means land of the fruit, land of fruit. It is further suggested that the word comes from the Latin adjective, aprica, sunny, or the Greek, aprike, I don't know, free from cold. Another origin might be the Phoenician root, farika, which suggests the idea of separation, or in other words, diaspora. It may be pointed out that the same root is to be found in some African languages, for instance, um, Bambar. In Sanskrit, in Hindu or Hindi, the root Aparia or Africa denotes that which in, in ge geographical terms comes after, in other words, the West. Africa is the Western continent. So historical tradition subscribed to by Leo Africanus um, has it that a Yemenite chief named Africa invaded North Africa in the second millennium before our era and founded a town called Afriqia. Af but it's more likely that the Arabic term, and I don't know what this term is, um, Afriqia is the Arabic transliteration of the word Africa. One version even suggests that Afra was the grandson of Abraham and a companion of Hercules. So that mm. is the origin of Africa as told by or as provided from or the sources general history of africa one i'm sorry volume one methodology and african prehistory mm. okay all right what's our next topic our next topic okay there it is is um let's see if we can get to it Oh, no, the, the, the paramanics. Oh, man, Brother Ankh, I'm having the same problem you had. So it says I'm presenting to everyone. How did you? I just clicked out and came back in. Goodness. Just go oh. out. Come okay. back. Okay. Pragmatics and symptomatics language. 
pragmatics and semantics. I mean, my fault, damn, the semantics. Yeah, you need to kick that off. Cause that's your thing right there, bro. <laughs> you be getting twisted up with that. Um, I'm hearing an echo. That's you, not um, you. Now you. Why don't we? Huh? Why don't we ask if anyone has any questions about the Africans aren't African in the chat room first to see if people really understand the context of it all. That's excellent. Um, excellent. Go for it. Um, so if you have any questions in the chat room about Africans aren't African based on the presentation and the information, just drop it in the chat box. So just to kind of stall before moving forward, um, I do want to add that um, another word that a lot of people in the conscious community has um, gravitated toward is Alkibulan, or the name of the continent Africa. And I believe that has um, you know, been pushed by uh, Dr. Ben. And so uh, a lot of people say, well, that's the original name of the continent. I've seen a lot of people post on Facebook uh, in that regard that that's the original name of, of Africa is Alkibulan, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so does anybody on the panel have any information on the accuracy of that or anything? Brother, unmute your mic. Uh -huh. I was muted, I was talking to my daughter, what? Oh, could y'all hear me? Could, I heard y'all hear me? I heard you. Okay. Um, well, let me just say, put my two cents on it. Um, Do we get any questions though? We, we ran right through that. Do we get any questions? No, as I said, um, I was saying I was going to stall while because it's a delay. So we're going to wait to see questions in the chat. I was just going to uh, add on to the bill while we're waiting on questions. So um, so I was just going to add two cents to that. I'll, I'll keep a line um, issue is that uh, the closest thing that I've seen that it, it, uh, lines up with um, the language and logic is that Al-Kibbalan is from the uh, word Al-Kibla and Al-Kibla in Arabic is um, a direction that one faces um, of importance uh, during prayer, etc. El Kibla, and the notion that uh, Africa is called El Kibbalan would would then tell us that Africa should be our center, our 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 point of focus and attention should be on the continent of Africa to be African centered. So El Kibbalan is a name would denote us that that would be our direction of facing. Similar to how Muslims uh, will face a certain direction as their Qibla in terms of uh, performance of prayer. Hmm. Hey, y'all see that question right there? Amaru, is that Amaru Shahid? Say, so what would be the method to finding a description that fit us as African-Americans? Also, should we be known as one people seeing that the continent is not a mono, a mono, monolithic place? Okay, I can answer that uh, quite easily. Right. Um, in the book, The Bacala of North America, again, it is, it is my defense for renaming African-Americans uh, based on parts of what um, 
Brother Unk read earlier, starting on page 24. And so I didn't come into this blindly. Um, I, I, I looked at a set of criterion based on our history, our behavior, and our values that we exhibited here in the United States and looked for a term that represented those characteristics. And so luckily I didn't have to do it from scratch. Dr. Wade Nobles had already written a text where, where he uh, very accurately summarizes the, the characteristics of African-Americans, which we could use to build a name around that accurately reflects. So we got to understand this thing first. In Africa, names aren't chosen arbitrarily. They have a belief that the name attached to something carries with it the vibration of that thing that there's a there's a matching of the energy of, of the word with the characteristics for which the name is attached to so you don't name things arbitrarily you you name things based on the, its characteristics and or as far as a human being a goal that they are to grow and realize themselves in so your name is kind of like your north star it gives you your purpose you're supposed to live up to your name um, as you grow up and live your life. And so with that, uh, I cite in the text starting on page 43, and um, Dr. Wade Nobles, who y'all should know, is a, 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 a black African psychologist who, who was out on the West Coast in uh, California, putting in works for years, started He's one of the co-founders at uh, ABCI and um, a, a worthwhile organization that I encourage everyone to to really study. So, you know, him, Dr. White, Dr. Uh, Akbar and others, you know, are pioneers in this field uh, of, of black African psychology. And so he wrote a text called Utilizing Culture in the Achievement of Educational Excellence for African-American adults, from cultural precepts to reoccurring themes. And in that text, he lays out these, uh, how many, it's these eight precepts and, let's see, eight precepts and nine uh, themes that all together identifies African-American people and culture. And so what, what I, you know, instead of reinventing the wheel, I just accept that as fact. And of course, based on um, my own research, but trying to come up with something different, we didn't have to. Dr. Wade Nobles already put in that work. So he talks about the first um, precept being consubstantiality, asserts that all things in the universe have the same essence. That's why we say everything is everything you know, uh, over here in the West, because we understand the connectedness of everything. Two is interdependence, asserts that everything in the universe is connected. This precept represents the African's understanding of and respect for his or her ontological origins and cosmological relationships. Three, egalitarianism, asserts that the correct relationship between people is one of harmony and balance. And so we all know that, you know, we've been fighting for equal rights for the longest. And so we can basically argue that our fundamental 
philosophy is ma'at, even though we don't use the term, because equality and egalitarianism is part of our values here as African-Americans here in the United States. Collectivism asserts that individual effort is a reflection and or instrument of communal or collective survival advancement. Now, you know, when a black person does a crime, you know, we automatically subconsciously think that, you know, this affects all of us because we have a collective consciousness, even though our collective actions may not reflect it sometimes, you know, subconsciously, we, we understand that there's a connection between all of us and how one of us behaves is a reflection on all of us in our culture. Um, five, transformation asserts that everything has a potential to continually function at higher levels, at a higher level. Six, cooperation asserts that optimum way of functioning is with mutual respect and encouragement. Seven, human asserts that the whole world is vitalistic and alive and that this vitality is grounded in a sense of goodness. Eight, synergism asserts that the performance outcomes of cooperative effort will be greater than the sum total of individual effort. And so I go on the reoccurring themes. You're talking about the first reoccurring theme is spirituality pervades the traditional African and African-American ethos. Resilience, humanism uh, is number three. Communalism is number four. Number five, orality and verbal expressiveness. Refers to the special importance attached to knowledge that is passed on through word of mouth and the cultivation of oral virtuosity. And so, you know, we just can't teach. We got to teach with some umph because of, of, of how important the oral tradition is to us. That's why our churches are different. That's why our songs and energy is different. You know, the way we vibe with each other is just different because orality is central to who we are. Personal style and uniqueness. You know, uh, I don't know about this new generation, but in, at least growing up, at least to our generation, in you know, in the 90s and in the 80s, whatnot, we, we love personal style and uniqueness. We can't do what other people do. We have to do things our own way. So even if we take Christianity, we can't take Christianity and leave it the way it was given to us. We got to add our own flavor to it. No matter what is given to it, our own personal style and uniqueness is, is, is a cornerstone to who we are. Realness refers to the need to face life the way it is without pretense. And so you got to keep it real with us. That's the first thing we check for is your authenticity in whatever it is that you do. Emotional vitality expresses a sense of aliveness and animation and openness conveyed in the language, oral literature, song, dance, body language, folk poetry, and expressive thought. And so this is kind of connected to that personal style and uniqueness that was mentioned and, and the vitality that was mentioned earlier. So, you know, with us, it, it just can't be bland. So that's why when we talk about, you know, uh, Becky's potato salad and the blandness of it, and that is a metaphor for white culture in general, is because they don't have that vitality, that spice that is present in our, in, in our uh, language and culture and things of this nature. Number nine, musicality and rhythm. Everything that we do has to have soul, you know? And, um, and so those are the precepts the, uh, the reoccurring themes in our in our uh, culture and uh, the, the eight precepts that I mentioned earlier. And so I included this so that, you know, we already have the basis for our culture. It's now time to solidify it and make it palpable and conscious in the minds of our people so that we can utilize these characteristics for our own empowerment.
And so that was the inclusion. So that's the basis of the name. And so I go into, you know, that uh, more in the book. You'll just have to read it. But that's the that's the criteria in which I feel based on Dr. Wade Noble's um, uh, assertions that we should build our identity off of. Mm. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. All right, that was a good one. All right. So did you say something now? Um, yes. Um knock these topics out. Um yeah, I wanted to say something about that. Um I think part of the challenge with um, defining our culture and what we are and what we stand for in the code of ethics is understanding um, language, um, understanding meaning and in context. Um, so in the next part issue, we wanna talk about the importance of that, because I find that a lot of people in the community get too overwhelmed and too focused on the word Africa. Yeah, you, you breaking up. Nice. You breaking up. A location, and they forget about the context Naya. of what Naya. we're really talking about. Now nah, you breaking up? We couldn't hear nothing you were saying. Yeah, you sound like a broke arrow. Uh, could you please? Maybe I won't break up if you go on mute. You say no. That ain't it. Your connection is going. But because no. Okay. <laughs> ain't that, ain't all right that. i think that uh from what i got from what she was saying just to kind of reiterate she was saying that um that she wants to focus on um the importance of of these of language and communication and things like that and she started to say uh people get hung up on certain words and i believe she was going to say africans and so on and so forth so mm. um i think she's leading into our next topic actually which deals with that very um, point of semantics and pragmatics. Before that, do you want to address the, the last question? In, yeah, we in, got a uh, uh, Whoever this person is, uh, also Madau. Yeah, I was right there. Go ahead, read that. What was uh, the question? Well, you have to go up a little more um, to get the first, because that's, that's the second part. So he says, I support the principles elucidated here but it's hypocritical that a few of the presenters here deny understanding the teachers of Elijah Muhammad. <laughs> so now we go scroll back down. And so okay. he says, Michael Phillips, they are not nation of Islam and have spoken on it in the past negatively. Yet these concepts are straight out of Elijah Muhammad's playbook. What? And so what? here's, <laughs> okay, here's, here's the problem with with that of the nation of islam because that's actually one of our topics so it leads directly you know into that so we've all seen the 
the video of Louis Farrakhan Facts. talking about the big nose and lips and, and, and nappy hair is a curse from God because we turned away, you know, saying from his teachings. Uh, and I, just I, I'll be right back. Excuse okay, me. No I'll be right back, y'all. But and, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna jump in on this topic though, so don't 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 move on without me. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> and then you know the most recent on the Kanye West uh, situation where he's talking about you know the slavery was a choice from God again because we uh, disobeyed the law, statutes of uh, commandments, and things of this nature. And so one of the things that people got to understand is that regardless if the nation of Islam has some some good principles in which we should follow one they didn't originate it and so you know these are teachings of the you know honorable marcus garvey before there was a nation of islam um and then other just african people period this has this is we can go anywhere and get some of these principles but one of the things about the nation of islam is that its teachings are fundamentally anti-african because it's based off of the abrahamic traditions which sees you know, uh, other people's ways of life as somehow uh, diminutive, as, as, as not worthy and somehow backwards. And so, you know, we can't adopt the Nation of Islam's stances, uh, especially as African people, because we have totally different paradigms. We have totally different worldviews. And so that really is a, um, you know, for that, that type of detail, it's a different discussion you know saying all together um the the anti-africanness of islam in christianity which is why on my facebook page i asked the question um if we african americans were to get our own land in africa and build our own wakanda should we allow christianity and islam in wakanda and my answer and the overwhelming answer, of course, the people on my page was hell no. But the reason why is because these are self-defeating anti-African um, paradigms and religions. And so, you know, why would you allow a group of people to set up shop in an institution that if given enough power would reconstitute slavery? Because you got to remember, and if you got to understand, like in Islam, if you... If they are the ruling people, that's the ruling paradigm which governs the nation, and you want to practice your indigenous religion, you either have to, um, you basically have to pay a tax in order to do it. So they're swindling you. They're basically a mafia. You gotta, you gotta pay a protection tax, or otherwise we'll run over you. And so, seen this history done thousands of times in Africa. We can cite many sources on this. And so why would you let this element into your um, your society whose whole purpose is to come and overthrow and replace other systems of thought with Islam? You know, this is the basis of this book that I'm writing called Religious Proselytization as a Form of Violence, subtitled The Infringement of the African Principle of Simultaneous Validity. Again, it's a, it's a very uh, broad, it's a very vast and, 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 and deep topic, and we don't have enough time to address it here. But um, 
that is something we can definitely do a, a, an entire show on uh, in, in the future, you know, uh, dedicated to that topic. Question for you, brother, I saw really fast. Are you saying that Islam, like Orthodox Islam or the nation of Islam um, are anti-African or both? Both. Both. All right, well, let me tell you, and I'm just, you know, you know I'm just bringing something to the forefront. Dr. Amos Wilson would disagree with you. Turn to page 81. All right. Bottom paragraph. He says this, and then, you know, I mean, we can go on because he, he um, page 81 and 82. He says that the nation of Islam is not a cat, copycat imitation of orthodox, urbanized, or Semitic Islam, and therefore does not rely on outside Islamic authorities or theologians to validate its authenticity and by their agency subverted to subverted to their interests and does not seek the acceptance of outside co-religionists as a central goal or raising the extra. It says its theology, though in good part borrowed from orthodox sources, has been significantly Africanized and is therefore uniquely, is uniquely its own creation, is therefore instrumental in advancing the exclusive interests of the nation in its black members. More than a religious institution, the nation Islam is a full-fledged black culture, a nation within a nation, for it includes all major institutions which define a people as having a culture, a group identity and name, a religious institution unique to themselves, family and economic institutions, a military or paramilitary establishment, a distinct system of ethics, mores, folkways, and values, distinct modes of dress, distinct culinary and dietary styles, a system of production and resource ownership and development. The nation is patriarchal, it says, in leadership and organization, meaning that its males have developed ways and means of intra-group cooperation and organization, which permit them to act on a coherent, cohesive, and collective terms. The nation presents a masculine face to the world of outsiders and relates to them on a masculine terms terms of equality and power. But then at the bottom, he says, we must hasten to notify our readers that we are not herein uh, proselytizing for the Nation of Islam. We merely use it as an example of a black Senate organization and of the cultural, psychosocial, social economic and empowerment outcomes, which can devolve from organizations whose founding ideology is black or African centered in context compared to those ideologies who is, I'm sorry, those whose ideologies is white, European-centered, centered around outside ethnic group, philosophies, ideologies, cultures, and religions. So, did he write that part? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He stopped, he stopped writing around chapter 22 or 23. But this is chapter, this is an early chapter. This okay. is chapter so three. Cultural Origins of Power, chapter three. Yeah, this is chapter okay. three. So, he so was, that before, was that before Scientology or after? No, it, it, we don't even have to go to Scientology. <laughs> it's, it's, see, while I understand Amos Wilson's point here, uh -huh. and he uses African in quotes, as you saw it. Yes. Meaning, you know, he understands it's, it's, it's just a label in this sense. They are right. Black-centered. They are not African-centered. They're right. not drawing right. upon African mm -hmm. cultures to inform their Islam. And so... This is something that even Malcolm X spoke on. If you look at this video of Malcolm, this interview of Malcolm X, he says that Elijah Muhammad never said nothing positive about Africa. Right. They, they're thinking that the Africans are backwards and that they're coming to civilize them. 
and again, that's that's why we show the um the the video of, of Farrakhan. Uh, and there's two videos of this. Dr. Clark actually, there's a, a video of Dr. Clark uh, speaking on this. Mm -hmm. uh, when when Farrakhan is talking about the 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 rich fe features that make us who we are, being curses by God, and it reveals our ugliness inside. So these are ugly features that we have: our thick lips, you know, big nose, and our nappy hair. This is all built into the tradition of Islam. Islam by itself is naturally anti-African. And so it doesn't matter if you blackenize it, it is still anti-African. It's trying to make an excuse for how you are, for how your hair is, for how your lips is, you know, and things of this nature. And so what naturally, the things that draw us in terms of being African is what they are anti um, about. And so, um, I understand what he's saying in terms of, of of using them as a model in terms of being able to create a nation inside of a nation. Right. But you have to be critical of the underlying values. You got to understand from a psychological standpoint, your behavior is inspired by your values. Absolutely. And so if your values are anti-African, you're not going to big up, you're not going to raise Africans. Think about it like this. The, the the only major people out of the nation of Islam to get kicked out of the nation of Islam were pro-African. Khalid Muhammad, Malcolm X. You don't hear about them in this light in terms of uh, adopting and seeing Africa as a source, a resource. They use Africa as a reference, not as a resource to draw inspiration in terms of creativity, in terms of philosophy, in terms of family structure, none of that. They look to Asia. Asia and black man. You know, and so it, it is it is this component that I have to toss it. Because again, if, if the, the core values of your tradition is anti-African, we can't use it. It doesn't matter how well you organize and, and, and how clean you look and how many businesses you have. Mm -hmm. Arabs have that, white folks have that, and they are anti-African. And so this is something that we have to keep in mind. And, and, and I can get into more details, you know, in, in a more concentrated discussion and put these things, you know, in order wow. so people understand you know, more clearly what I'm talking about here. Well, it's in the name, it's in the name. It, it tells you, it said nation of Islam. Right. The building nation of Islam, not a nation of African or Africans or, or African traditions and customs. The nation is building a nation of Islam. You know what I'm saying? I can respect that. It, it was always there. We tried to fit it into a into a container and it did not fit. They 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 was they, they've always been out in front. That their sacred books is the Quran and the and the Bible. Yeah. Right? Which are anti-African documents. So the documentation that they're using is anti-African. You'll even hear people say they really had like an Indian doctrine, right? So at the end of the day, I think the most anti-African statement made to date that nobody got mad at, and let me be clear here. Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, right, um, has done a whole lot, right? Far more than I've done. Okay, but I feel like on this particular point, I should be able to critique him. 
I'm not bashing them. Anybody can bring a million black people to one area, you know what I'm saying, that allows uh, uh, us African-centered people to have access to them, you know what I'm saying, is worthy of respect in that manner. That's what I'm saying. That's just me. But the most anti-African statement made, and ain't nobody made no videos about it, ain't nobody mad, the, the, the regular African-American community still mad at Kanye. What about the statement that God chose for Africans to be enslaved? You just took the white man off the hook because it wasn't the white man. It was God, you know, who placed the strings on white people, white puppets, and made them enslave us. How ridiculous was that statement? No media jumped behind that. See, that's the joke. Why didn't the media jump behind that? Because they mm -hmm. want to keep you in a biblical anti-African narrative. Racism, white supremacy on all-time high. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody talks about that. Oh, Amaral squad, y'all say we ain't have choices, this. Ain't nobody made no damn videos about the Honorable Louis Farrakhan saying that it was, it was God. That's why I'm a real black atheist, because I can see right through that. I can see right through it. It wasn't God. It was human beings on Earth that chose to kidnap African people. So really, how disrespectful is that to allow right, racism, white supremacy, immediately off the hook with a statement of a spook somehow, you know what I'm saying, motivated and pushed and prodded and gave them the power to enslave black people. That's the craziest statement of the year, and ain't nobody said nothing about that. that that's, that's that biblical logic. Because you know it's it's supposed to be in uh, like a reference to the so-called enslavement of the Jews in Egypt, and God hardening Pharaoh's heart, and you know he allowed all this stuff to work. So you know basically God is the re the, the responsible for all the madness, you know in 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 on Earth. Uh, but of course they'll blame Satan and and the white man, uh, but deny that God has did it directly. Hey, like, I wanna. No. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I just want to um, add two things. Uh, back up a little bit. The story about the lips and the kinky hair, the nappy hair and stuff like that, for those who are in doubt or just need the information, it is in the story of the tribe of Shabazz, where Shabazz was exiled and kicked out from among the other scientists. And he, he took a group, him and his family took a group of people and went into the interiors of Africa. And while there, their hair... Uh, kinked up and so on and so forth as a punishment for him disobeying and not being part of the group all right so i gave a i gave a quick short and skinny of that um of course but go check it out that's where the story is and that's what farrakhan and nation of islam is influenced by that's number one two um the interview that unk is talking about is from farrakhan's interview on wgci in chicago where he was on an interview on a radio station where he made the statement that slavery is a choice but it wasn't the slave's choice it was god's choice and that he said that uh, uh it was prophecy and he quoted the bible 400 years to sojourn in a, in a land that is not theirs and a strength as strangers in the land not theirs etc etc everyone should be familiar with that uh uh quote but he goes on to say uh to speak as if slavery was was part of god's plan in order to uh bring africans to a higher level and so in that logic he is excusing um 
the, the uh, involvement of the Europeans and and put and taking responsibility off of the actual actors in the whole thing, which is what Unc was uh, talking about. Three, uh, Farrakhan also gave his own personal interpretation of what Kanye said, and Farrakhan said uh, that Kanye was talking about slavery and chains on the brain. And so in this interview, if you haven't seen it, check it out. And as Uncle was saying, that nobody on, on both of those fronts, nobody made a big stink about it for whatever the reason is, but nobody made a big stink about it. And that is problematic because uh, on, on both sides, because Farrakhan is, is basically justifying slavery uh, by saying that it's God's bidding. And that is that determinism doctrine that Abrahamic religions will influence and dictate and condition our minds to, to be caught up under, where things are out of our hands and it's in God's hands. And so that is a very, very, that it, in and of itself is a slave mentality. Facts. Hold on, I want to add something real quick to, to show the distinction in, in thought and paradigm and why this is a prime example of anti-Africanist uh, or at least an opposition to the consensus of thought that is found on the continent of Africa, especially among uh, China into or Negro Egyptian speakers. And so I'm holding in my hand this book, uh, one of my dagger books, The Question of Evil in Ancient Egypt by Dr. M Mpaye Kimboli, Kimboli, uh, no relation to Brother Mboli, Jean-Claude Mboli. Um, and this is in English, so it's not one of my normal French books that I would show y'all. Nobody can read but you. Yeah. That's not really in that book. Is it <laughs> but uh, the central question that they are asking, uh, uh, that he is asking in this text is where does evil come from in the mind of the ancient Egyptians? And so he, he looks at the primary documents and, and, and shows conclusively that um, evil doesn't come from God and God doesn't make it that way that the Egyptians saw it as human beings are responsible for bringing um, uh, certain atrocities and things in uh, the, the, the universe. So it has nothing to do with this preordained, God has a plan and he's gonna use other people to, uh, and, and use them to slaughter other people to bring about um, uh, evidence of his might and, and, and prowess as God. And so that, that is foreign for the most part in, in indigenous African traditions. And, um, and so I'm just you know promoting this text uh, as a contrast to that type of thought that you see in the Abrahamic traditions versus what you see in Egypt and the rest of the continent um, in, in terms of the, the origins of these things and this philosophy. So again, like if, you know, if one, you know, one future we can, uh, one day in the future we can you know, really go in on it. I can start bringing out some more specific examples of those things. But go ahead, Unc. Yeah, real quick, I want everybody, um, if you get a chance, go to Mocha University. How can they access your class, Brother Saw? Go to sarmhotep.com. Yeah, that's a good class. I'm, I'm going to get time. I need to take that class. Everybody that's wanting to develop into being a scholar, I suggest you take that class. Um, serious work on that. So that kind of segue. So, uh, Doc, you want to talk about that anti-African statement right there? You have something to say about that? Which anti-African statement, um, brother? It, it was God that enslaved us, not not 
you know, not white people. It was God's choice. God chose, you know what I'm saying, to use white people to put us in slavery. Like, like oh, yeah, no totally. yeah, I totally I totally agree with you that it is an anti-African um statement and that you are um, you know, dismissing uh the role that white folks um played, you know, in enslaving our African ancestors. Mm -hmm. so I absolutely agree that it is an anti-African statement. Absolutely. Yeah, out of order, man. Now, how about you, Sister Naya? Not sure if you're around. Family wanted to hear your take on that. All right, she must not be there. Okay, Dr. Might, I have a question. Um, do you feel that that statement is disrespectful also to the ancestors? Yes, it is. All right, because I, I asked you that because that was one of the main issues that people had with Kanye. But I, 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 it's just strange to me that I, di I didn't see the same outrage with uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan and yeah. his statement. I, actually, his statement is worse than Kanye's statement. Fair. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you think about it, if you go with the logic that Farrakhan is using from the Bible and his influence from Abrahamic traditions, it's actually worse than what Kanye said. Mm. Uh, or I should say what people think or took from what Kanye said, because Kanye explained what he, what he meant. Um, but that's another story. But but Farrakhan's statement is even worse. But yet I don't see the same uproar or the same uh, week long bashing of Nation of Islam or Farrakhan. And I just find that strange. I find it very strange. And so I might as well just uh, segue into it. Uh, MBK made a whole video of the disrespect of the ancestors uh, and kind of alluding to that the video that we did uh, was part of that disrespect. So I would like to ask this question. Does anybody on the Amaral squad agree that our ancestors chose to be enslaved? Does anybody agree to that? Because that, that was the false narrative for three hours. No, no one on the squad agreed to that. Does anybody agree to that? No, in fact, not only don't we agree with that, but in, in our video, we made it very, very clear. So for somebody to watch our video because myself and the sister Naya we did a video uh, a, a day or two prior to uh, all of us coming on and doing a video and in both occasions I know myself personally I made it very clear that our ancestors in West Africa did not choose to be raped chained shackled led to any boats or ships or all that kind of stuff. And I even quoted Charlemagne to God when he said that uh, some people took it as, as if the West Africans joined some fraternity. I even made that very clear, crystal clear in those two videos. So for somebody to watch the video, either they didn't watch the video and, and, and just assuming stuff and, and making comments, or if they watched the video, then it's malicious intent to, to uh, intentionally twist our words or misdirect um, what we're saying to have an argument to say in opposition. And I find that that's strange too. I mean, man, where you at a saw? Down at the computer. So, I mean, nobody on the Amaral squad agrees with that. At no time. What we talked about was the choices we made is what we talked about. And how we chose to fight, how we chose to make different decisions. It's obvious. Uh, African-Americans are a sum total of the choices that we made. Exactly. You know That's a good you know point. You know, like, come on now. Like, like we, we never was feeble people, like crawled up in a ball on the plantation, shaking in our boots. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Really? Like, 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 like that's what they want you to think. See, only a slave don't got no damn choice. Somebody overrun the village and knocking your damn head. What choice you got with that? You know what I'm saying? Well, like, come on, man. Like, that's that's just you we know. Out, we outlined that. We out. We 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 we, we outlined that last time. That by by illustrating. I mean, I know I gave and I saw gave examples of the different choices that different groups of slaves uh made. Some slaves chose to uprise, fight. At, at different stages of this enslavement process. You got to remember, enslavement is a process. Ain't nobody wake up, go to sleep, and then wake up, all of a sudden, they're on, they on a plantation. It was an entire process. You know, you got, you, get, you got the kidnapping aspect of it, the, um, the selling. You know, it's different aspects of it. So every step of the way, you had people who fought. But then at the same time, every step of the way, you had people who submitted. So it's a different different. Uh, uh, people of our ancestors chose different things to do, and so that's what we outlined and and showed everyone. Now, if that's disrespectful, then I'm sorry. You just had to go back to school on that. Yeah, they're not they're not scholars if they if if they think that, because um, first of all, we didn't make a value judgment on the ancestors who did whatever based on their choice. Right. Simply, we're just simply arguing that first and foremost because this is a philosophy question and just one of reality that the choice was present at all times during the process and so this is how you can tell that people really they speak english words but don't speak english because when you talk about enslaved the suffix ed completes it it's a complete action so someone can grab you and enslave you but slavery with the Y suffix is an ongoing process. And this is what Kanye was speaking on, the ongoing process which lasted 400 years. So he's saying as a collective, we should have did more to end our slavery earlier than to have it last 400 years. And this is a question that we people have to wrestle with, you know, and be honest with themselves with. If the white people didn't go to war with each other, would we still be slaves? And what does that tell you about the overall process in terms of the answer to that question? What would we have to do if it wasn't for European people fighting each other over the issue of slavery, we would still be in say, matter of fact, slavery lasted until the 1960s. The, the people who were slaves are still alive telling their story. <laughs> in the 1960s, some of your parents was born in 1950s and earlier. So your parents were born into slavery. And so like, like people got to get real serious about these things and, and, and not look at these things as, you know, if, if you point out weaknesses, for example, in African cultures, that you're somehow disrespecting the ancestors. You know, um, you're pointing out facts because we're trying to create, as Dr. Amos Wilson and Malefe Asante, you know, asked the question, you know, a culture that is robust enough to um, repel white supremacy that can create the kinds of people that we need to flourish. And the only way that you're able to do that is if you're honest with yourself. 
So we have to create, if, if slavery was to come today, what kind of people do we have to have today to ensure that slavery doesn't happen again? And if it does last for 400 more years, what kind of people do you have to have in your culture to prevent that from happening? You have to have people that understand that they have a choice and that, you know, we're going to make the choice to fight and we're going to take a hell of a lot of y'all with us if we die. So I was born and that means I'm going to die someday. The, the dagger of people have a proverb. If you move forward, you're going to die. If you move backwards, you're going to die. die. You might as well move forward and die. Like if we took that as our mantra, you know, there's nothing that we can't do because we won't be scared to death. We born, that means we're going to die someday any damn way. So we might as well move forward and die. So, okay. But the Civil War wasn't a war. As a matter of fact, Civil War, one of the largest battles, uh, one of the largest African armies, watch this, on the United States, right? Was mm -hmm. in the Civil War. So really, it was black people liberating black people. See, we need to understand that too, right? And I'll give you some documentations on that. See, most people don't even understand that. One of the largest forces that was fighting for the liberation of black people, you know what I'm saying, was us. All right, mm -hmm. not the white people. Because like Abraham Lincoln, he didn't free the slaves up north. He freed the slaves down south. Now, how crazy is that? I saw yep, when I'm yep. telling you you no longer read books in your house. <laughs> I don't your house. <laughs> right? But mm -hmm. I can read books about it's crazy. So no, the, the up up north, right? It, Abraham Lincoln didn't do that. And, and the yeah. document clearly shows, right, that, you know what I'm saying, that the historical document shows uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, right, the, the historian that travels with that talks that that didn't do it. What's that, Brother Saw? This is, this is Brother Ezra Aharon's book, okay. Sovereign Evolution, Manifest okay. Destiny from Civil Rights to Sovereign Rights. Okay. And there's a chapter in here where he's talking about the Emancipation Proclamation and what it actually is. It's really a military document that transferred ownership from the, um, the individual slave plantation owners to the government. Yeah, it, 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 it took from the private sector to the state. Exactly. And so, you know, we got to understand these things. And this is why, you know, oh, this is... Uh, I wish this was the topic. I, I would have prepared some slides for this, you know, so I can, uh, so the people can have it. But I'm just going to recommend back the book. Again, what you say? Run it back again. What you say? That the Emancipation Proclamation was a military document okay. that transferred ownership of the slaves from the individual's uh, uh, private ownership <laughs> to the state. You know, That's damn crazy, Assal. <laughs> just keep getting us. But now, now, hold on. I want to make an observation, right? I'm I'm looking at the chat. Right. And all y'all, and all y'all with a record, on ever been in prison, y'all slaves. So don't be laughing. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's interesting too. But but now I just want to make an observation real quick. I'm looking at the chat, all right, and I'm scanning yeah, through the chat. And and and, and, the, and the chat is reflecting exactly what I said earlier that. Now that we brought up Kanye's name again, everybody has so much to say about Kanye, how Kanye is, is, is mental and he breakdown. He only be talking about he wasn't that deep, this, that, and the third. 
But when we were just now talking about Minister Louis Farrakhan and how his statement, his statement was actually worse than Kanye's statement. And he said it, he said it with a conscious mind. Can't nobody say Farrakhan's doped up or or opioid up and stuff like that. Nobody could say that. But nobody had as much to say about Farrakhan. So there is something wrong in the community. Mm. Man, so Naya, listen, I'm telling you, you are going to have to spread your wings and do a psychological evaluation of every single individual in, that's part of this conscious community. Hey, can we add some people to here? Who want to who wanna get in on this in the chat room? Anybody want to get in? We haven't. No, not yet. Right, um, I want to let y'all know anybody can get it. Mexican, <laughs> Africans, MBKNs. Anybody can. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Ujo was behind that. Am I clear, guys, or am I sounding like a robot? No better. Uh, you clear, but it sounds like you are swallowing the microphone. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know what's wrong with my technology today. How about now? Is that better? No, just pull the microphone away from you a little bit. You good. All right. How about now? All Is right. better? Yeah, go ahead. I think the, the psychology uh, behind you know, Kanye West versus Minister Farrakhan, you know, it has to do with Kanye's, um, I think, personal life. I think it has to do with him also repeating neoconservative views in terms of um, in that interview, he also talked about food stamps he talked about um, black people in Chicago. So he not only made comments related to mental slavery, he also made some other derogatory terms. Um, mm. And he didn't do a really good job explaining himself, i.e. why we're here today. I think that the difference is Louis Farrakhan at least um, explained himself. And the reason why um, people aren't as um, offended by Louis Farrakhan because the majority of our community practice the Abrahamic faith. And if you practice the Abrahamic faith, you do follow a doctrine of determinism. So in all those faiths, God is in control of your life. So it wasn't foreign to those, to us, because Black people, majority, I think 60 to 70% of us are um, um, engage in some type of religious practice. So that idea was not um, as um, sharp as the one that Kanye was saying. And I think Kanye didn't do a great job articulating. He switched subjects like 10 times. I mean, so, you know, he uh, made a lot of mistakes, whereas I think Farrakhan has the, um, the community and he has the religious group or the religious people behind him more so that's why people aren't as offended okay now that's a that's a good observation and i agree uh with that 100 percent. and uh, like i asked dr Matt earlier if she felt that farrakhan's statement or farrakhan uh relegating the the responsibility of slavery to god and excusing you know white folks or whatnot disrespectful ancestors she said yes and so farrakhan articulated himself much better and clearer but his actual statements themselves were far worse than what uh, Kanye was saying. And I agree that people are fuss about Kanye because of Kanye extra, extra statement uh, affairs that he has. And, and that's why I always said people just don't like Kanye. 
And that, that's what it really boils down to. Because if you compare the statements in and of themselves and you take the, the two men away and you just put the statements on paper, Farrakhan's statement would be a lot more crazier and offensive than Kanye's. And, and you know what, bro? And you know what, Brother Ujawa, I just want to say that I agree with you because I was one of those folks, you know, like when I first heard the sound bite, I went off, you know, and then I spoke to Brother Ankh and, uh, you know, heard his position on it. And then, you know, we were all going back and forth in the, um, you know, the chat on Facebook. And I said, oh, OK. And that's and I read also read your post, um, Brother Saw, that you put up. And that's when I, you know, I understood his position. And, uh, and, and Ujawa, you made a good point. In the uh, Facebook chat, you were just saying that he just didn't articulate it well. You know what I mean? And so um, you said that may have caused a lot of the confusion. Yeah, and, and he's known for that, though. Like, we, we should not be surprised at Kanye uh, having an artistic uh, scatterbrain type of mind. That's what we call it. It's a, he, he's, a, he's, a cre he's a creative, artistic, uh, scatterbrain type of person. I mean, I don't know the technical name for, for people like that, but but he's been like that for his whole public professional career. Mm. You know? And and so and so he he doesn't articulate the way that it's expected. So so, you know, you got to figure stuff out with him. And so that's that shouldn't have been a shock. But then it, it, still, I mean, I mean, I think I think it's just uh, uh, lopsided because we have two men making uh, statements and and one man's statement is a far worse than the other. But the but but his he gets the pass and, and right. but but I, but, I, but I understand Naya's point. I think Naya makes a great point, and I think that 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 is the reason why is because of the conditioning of the Abrahamic uh, belief system that people are already uh, acceptable to what Farrakhan says. But does that make it right? No, because if you look at the logic of it, it's crazy as all outdoors. Hold on, hold on. Uh, I want to. I want to say something. This is a prime example. Hold on. This is a prime example. You hear me? Hold on. I was like, this is a prime example of the statement in which Unc starts all of his shows with. Unc, can you say your saying in the way that you say it? I got to do it from the top. Okay. Go Black ahead. African power. Was good. Was happening. A well-organized lie. Defeats a dis organized truth every time woohoo wait man this is the this is the fundamental issue here kanye west had a disorganized truth <laughs> versus minister farrakhan's organized lie facts and, and if people can't understand it they think that the way because he articulated better that it somehow is more logical and sound in in things of this nature and it's like, no, you know, that's not the case. And so like, you know, for me, I, you know, cause I deal with computer programming and software development and stuff like this. I look at code and I can read between the lines when things look jumbled and things of this nature, I can get to the point, you know, without, you know, having to go through the surface of things, you know, like I see a computer screen here, but in the back of my mind, I see code. I know what code makes this happen and makes this thing here. I can see underneath the presentation and most people can't do that they're not trained to do that and so they 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 just go off of their emotions and what they think is going on looking at the surface and not really delving into the meat uh, uh of the subject and and they like stuff that's flowery and ultimately this is the second thing and i'll end here 
African-American people have a problem with us accepting responsibility for our, our, our lives. And this is probably why a lot of them don't adopt African spiritual systems because African spiritual systems will not allow you to blame some other spirit for the way things are going in your life. <laughs> it is, it's always on you. And so on, on this point, for example, like we had a discussion the last time about um, the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps comment that the conservatives pull around. But that's all blueprint for black power is pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, relying on yourself and, and not relying on Europeans to come save you. And so we may not like it coming from conservatives, white conservatives, and they may have some other issues that are attached to it. But, you know, when you come into African centeredness, the responsibility of your life is on you and, and you coming together. And so there's no excuses. And so, you know, when you're into these Abrahamic tr traditions, you can blame the spirit world. It was God that hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, and that's why things was going the way it was. I'm like this because we, you know, disobeyed God and God put these curses on it. So that's why my nose is so thick and my lips are the way it is. And my hair is nappy, you know, and, and things are just silly nonsense, not based in reality, you know. And so this is something that we have to um, deal with as well. And it's, and it's on that same logic that we have to address and, and fully understand within context the, the Africans' role in the transatlantic slave holocaust and the whole history behind that. And, and, and what, is, what, is, what that has been, um, how that has weakened Africa as well. And so we can't let nothing slide. We gotta be objective and look at things as as what it is and stop getting so emotional because we're critiquing you know people who we love yeah, you know exactly. and so you know uh you your children deserve it you you don't want to be the generation that drops the ball and and doesn't give them the tools that they'll need to be sovereign and to be free as uh amos wilson would say because we can't think critically and we all in our feelings Mm, that's a fact. Right now you, 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 no, I'm good. Okay, all right. So that's, I mean, that that's that's bewildering me. Just, I, I'm just bewildered with that right there. So I mean, I mean, you know, like, come on, enough of that. You know, the spook, like, it's crazy to me. So you know, I mean, hey, at the end of the day, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. Um, and you know, we just gotta just not be so emotional and just give fair critique. And I think uh, the thing I like about the squad is we just don't all agree on all issues. I mean, that's just, <laughs> it, it is what it is. We, we have prolific battles on said subjects at times. So it's just, you know, we can always come to a consensus on certain things. So, you know, that whole piece, and that's why I always say that religion is basically a crutch. You know, it gives you a way out of your circumstances. You know, it's like smoking weed or, or drinking, you know, sniffing cocaine, heroin. I mean, you do it to feel good, but when the high wear off, you're still faced with the same problems. You know, you just put a Band-Aid on it for a moment. And so that's what religion does. It's a Band-Aid, okay? It, 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 it allows you to have comfort 
that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. You know what I'm saying? No, you're just going to die. Accept that. And that should just make you work harder. You know, you don't know, know the moment. You know what I'm saying? Nature got you up in here, and nature's going to take you up out of here. So, you know, it, it, it really kills your responsibility. And so it's up to us to create a system that forces the responsibility on us. So I like to say this. We understand the role that the European, Europeans played, all right, in our kidnapping and forced, forced labor, putting us in forced work camp, forced labor camps. We, we understand that. We understand the role they played in uh, causing us to fight, you know, and fight for our civil rights. We probably should have fought for our human rights, okay? But who am I to say, right? We understand the role they played in um, uh, putting signs up, white, white bathroom, black bathroom, you know, the old Jim Crow thing. We understand the role they played in the sharecropping. You know, like it's always been interesting to me. So like on Sunday, you know, we sitting around on the plantation, right? On, 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 on Monday, all of a sudden we free. So on Sunday, uh, food is free, clothes is free, you know, <laughs> room and board is all free. You know what I'm saying? And on Sunday, now you got to pay for it. <laughs> Man, sad crap. Get out of here with that crap, man. So we understand the role they play and all that, right? We smart enough. But the question is, right, when does the responsibility fall on us now? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, when, when, when is it our responsibility to change and transform our conditions? That's what original people do. You know, they, 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 they watch nature. They observe nature, right? And they figure out a plan to deal with nature. It's not gonna happen. What'd you say, brother? I said it is not gonna happen if your belief system, which is which is which is your core, and I saw I said it earlier, you your behavior is dictated by your values, and your belief system is at the core of those values. And if your belief system is taking responsibility off of you, then subconsciously, consciously you're you're gonna operate in that uh manner. And, and you're not going to fight to make that change. And, and this is why those who know about that, they understand it and they're not worried at all. Think about because, it like this, too. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that that uh, those Abrahamic traditions, they, they lock you into a predictable uh, behavior and it's calculated. And so the people who understand all of this that we're talking about, they're not worried. They're not concerned. They just make adjustments to to uh, the way that you adapt within that paradigm. So in order for that to change, to answer your question, Unc, we would have to totally change our paradigm. And that's what we've been talking about. This is what Dr. Amos Wilson is alluding to. Check out the, the Diop as far as Africa on the continent itself. We have to change paradigms. And a paradigm, people have to understand, paradigm means that you're going to change not just one part. You're going to have to change the whole fish tank, the whole water, the rocks, the plants, the filter, everything. Yeah. Change it all out. That's a paradigm shift. Mm. Not just little itty, itty bits and pieces. Don't blackenize Christianity. <laughs> Don't blackenize Islam and all that kind of stuff. Now nah, we have to change the entire paradigm. Exactly. Makes sense. And matter of fact, to the Dagger Squad, too, man. This is. Um, 
like when you pay when you really pay attention to the abrahamic traditions you got to first and understand and this is the second part or another part of my research is that these traditions the abrahamic traditions were religious systems that came out of the mindset and the framework of nomadic pastoralists and nomadic pastoralists they don't build civilizations from the ground up what they do is they conquer civilizations that already exist the people who did all the groundwork already in the building and whatnot they just take over what has already been done so for example when the israelites come out of um of egypt according to the story god doesn't bring them into a land and tells them to build from the ground up what no. does he command them to do to go into canaan and to kill off the Canaanites, the Amorites, Jebusites, all the Zites, you know, in the Bible, including the cattle and things, and, and live amongst them. This is the land I promised you. They already on it, and they done built on it already, and all So y'all don't have to do anything. Just kill them off and go. And it, hey, they, they, they tried that with Egypt. Egypt was like, nah, it, 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 ain't, it ain't happening over here. So you may watch this. Let, let, let me take them to Rome real quick. Mm -hmm. Rome Rome ended, ended up getting toppled by, by the Goths, right? Mm -hmm. In about 10 years, Rome was completely done. They couldn't run it. The, <laughs> no, the people that took Rome couldn't run it. Do y'all get that? They couldn't run it. It's the they couldn't keep up the empire. It started getting segmented. They couldn't run it right, and then you find Europe right, uh, uh, just completely falling into what you want to call a dark age. I find that very, very interesting. Like for instance, by the time the the, 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 the Vikings, you know, they, they call them the Nordics, right? By the time mm -hmm. they came in, right, they they fighting against what would later on be the French. You know what I'm saying? And and, and England and all that. They couldn't read. The only people that could read was back in Rome, and it was in Latin. But 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 like uh, they say in these books where you find the Moors go over there. Well, this is what the Moors found when they went over there. They was living in barns. It, listen, <laughs> they couldn't even keep up the Roman roads. The only thing they could do was ride on them. You know, nature started taking roads back. They couldn't fix the roads. They couldn't do none of that. None of the building structures because you know why Rome. Followed Greece. Yep. Greece followed Egypt. They broke away from that. It's not until they started getting back into that model where you find ancient Africa, right? And Egypt, like for instance, like they build the United States, right? And on the back of the dollar bill, no matter what y'all say, they giving praise and honor to your ancestors with the pyramid. They they set up Washington DC, Washington, DC, like they set up the Nile Valley. On the one side of the river, right? You got the White House. On the other side of the river, you got the burial grounds. That's the same way in Egypt. So it's not until they follow your model, right? Do they begin to be successful again? It's not until they follow your model of science and technology and invention that they really do what they do. But yet y'all spit on that. How disrespectful is disrespectful is that when y'all say science is the white man's science, school is the white man? Are you serious? When is school of the white man? That doesn't make any sense. Why did people go to Egypt? Well, they didn't go to pay homage to the Elohim or the nature. 
like y'all want to believe. And they did. Central place to go. And they didn't go for a photo op. <laughs> why? Why did they go? They went right to, to learn how to. <laughs> but but Pete, this. That's why we study Egypt ourselves, to 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 learn how to build a civilization and maintain it. And so we don't neglect West Africa. See, but this is what people don't understand. Oh my God. Most of those empires in West Africa that we praise and be talking about, oh, we had this empire. They were all Muslim empires. Mm. When you're talking about Songhai, Mali, and things of this nature, they were Muslim empires. Facts. And, and, and they are the empires, which is the reason why slavery lasted so long in Africa. Mm. You know, and so we have to talk about that. And we got to think about going to my earlier point. When the nation of Islam, how come the nation of Islam never talks about going into Africa and building our own civilization from the ground up? What's what's what are they waiting on? They're waiting on America to fall so they can take over the infrastructure that already exists. Taken from the playbook of the earlier, you know, nomadic pastoralist uh, tribes. And so, you know, for us to succeed, we have to have a different model. And so someone in the, and uh, when I made the, uh, the comment um, about picking your, uh, lacing yourself up by your bootstraps, of course, you know, our reactionary response is, well, if we don't have any boots. How can we lace ourselves up by our bootstraps? You create sandals and you make that work until you can get some boots. It's, it's for people that know how to make things, if you don't have the boots, you make your own boots. And so you have to have a different mindset. Like when they say, when people give you lemons, make lemonade, mm. you know, like you have to have that mindset. Um, there's a, a proverb that I quote in the Bacala book that says, when a snake jumps at you out of the forest, you throw at it whatever is, your, is, is in your hand. <laughs> like you don't have time to go and, you know, get the, the, the AK-47 out the trunk, you know, and come back and look for the snake. <laughs> Whatever's in your hand is good enough for the moment until you can get to a space, you know, where you can be, you can utilize more sophisticated tools. And so, um, you know, these are the kinds of things that we have to keep in mind in this type of discourse. Watch this. Watch this. Although located southward between, I'm on page 210, Structure of Black Civilization, right? And Asar and, and talked about uh, like Muslim empires. Right, and this goes back to why I chose the Masi, okay, the Masi warrior clan, right? Why I dealt with the Masis, why, why, why that's that's my favorite African tribe, right? They say although located southward between the great arms of the Niger River and almost surrounded by expanding empires of Mali and Songhai, neither, neither were able to subdue and bring the Masi within their empire. Quite the contrary, contrary. It says, with the greatest and most dashing cavalry forces in Africa, the Masis carried the war to them. So why would the Masi carry the war to some other African empires? Because like Assal said, they was Ismailized. Then let me watch this. Check Who this said Ismailized? God Ismailized. <laughs> New word, Ismailized. Watch this. It say, there were other words on page 212. Watch this. It say there were other birds, right? Some were highly important. 
One was the minister of Muslims. Now they talk about how the mosques were structured, right? It say for unlike many other African societies, right? It say the migrating Masi had learned something, right? From the history of the blacks in their relations with Arabs and Berber people. Now, we talking about building a place in Africa and not and not allowing Muslims to run it, not letting them in, right? Watch this. We got examples in history on what to do and not to do, right? It say no foreigners could settle in Masi territory. But since the Masi themselves were great traders, they needed the far-flung outlets, which the Muslims everywhere controlled. Muslim traders were therefore admitted into the country under the strict supervision of the ministry of, of for Muslims. All Muslim activities was restricted to trade. The religion of Islam rejected. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say it again. The religion of Islam rejected, right? Conversion to both teachings and religion forbidden. It was forbidden to get converted in Masi territory. It say, in short, the Masi saw Islam and Christianity, right? For all you want to play the black Christian game, right? As the white man's vehicle of conquest. It was the only black nation in time to see this. Indeed, the Masi, they had a prophecy. Watch this. Indeed, the Masi prophecy held that when the first white man appeared in the land, the nation would die. That time had not yet arrived. The Masi policy of excluding whites and rigorously limiting the numbers and controlling their activities in the country further illuminates an African experience that is already so clear that it should require no additional light. So why we gotta fight y'all with that to develop your own system? History tells you you can't win that way. It says all African states, I'm gonna say this again, all African states that began to develop again after the great dispersions, rebuilding and expanding, were prosperous and advancing as black states as long as they borrowed the relentless, aggressive whites from their countries. And their destruction became certain only when they abandoned this policy and let the Asians and Europeans in. On this, the record is entirely clear. The Masis held on steadfastly to their own African religion and African institutions and survived over 500 years into the 20th century until it was finally overrun by France. And we can get into the fact that all of a sudden going to schools abroad. You know how you think you get real stuff, smart and intelligent? Oh man, that old prophecy ain't real, man. Oh man, we can let one in. Right, when they let those white people in, right, the Masi Empire fell. That's a deep statement. Matter of fact, the whole book is showing you, don't do it. Don't you don't don't build another institution, you know what I'm saying, and bring Islam in it. Well, the nation of Islam did it. Right? Don't do it. Black Christians did it. Don't do, they did it. Look where they at right now. Look what's going on right now. We're actually seeing. I just want to make that point. Uh, uh Shaka Zulu basically said the same thing for the Amazulu. You know, because remember uh, uh Shaka was killed by his brother and family. And and they ended up siding with the Europeans, and look what happened! <laughs> Crazy. Doctor Zulu built an army who who would constantly defeat the British, 
who had guns and they had spears because they had, a, you know, saying a technique and things of this nature. He 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 was one of them, you know, kind of Africans that like, look, we need to unite. And, you know, I'm the kind of person that needs uh, uh, to lead this. But, you know, either you're going to join us peacefully. He's almost like the dude on the boondocks. You know, we could do this the hard way and we could do this the easy way. You know, and, and a few people chose the hard way and had to get run over and then absorbed into the Zulu territory. But he had a vision because he understood what was coming. And people didn't understand that, you know, uh, letting these people in the land was the end of their uh, their their way of life and their civilization. And, and it came about as prophecy, as, as just like with the Mosi, Mosi clan. And so when I asked that question on Facebook, when we build our own Wakanda, you know, do we allow Christianity and Islam in? I'm not asking arbitrarily. I'm asking with a full understanding of history and what that means to have these anti-African proselytizing religions who can't like, what's that book? Um, do you have that book on the Arab slave trade? Which uh, in in Africa, or the Arabs in Africa, thirty years. No, it's uh the green one. No, it's black. No. Um, crap. Where is this freaking book? Uh, I know I'm gonna find it like after the show. Watch. Shout out to brother Kofi, man. What's up, man? Mossy clan warrior up. Fears are flying. Uh, and the pseudos are crying. <laughs> I can't find it right now. But uh, it's it's a book, and he talks about how the rule in Islam, and this is a former Muslim who uh, later became Christian, but he's a scholar, and he's writing on this uh, scholastically. And so what, what people got to understand is that the, the rule for the Muslim is that they can't be ruled by non-Muslims. Right. And so what they do is... You know they try to come in peacefully through trade then they bring in more of their people and as soon as they have the numbers to to um to uh to mount a resistance then they attack they first they give them the option the king or whoever the option to convert and if they don't convert you know to islam then this is the basis for jihad and this is what has happened all in west africa throughout our history. And so people got to understand, you know, who the Fulani and who the, the, the Hassas are and, and, and why, you know, these, these, uh, these civilizations fail and why a lot of these wars were happening in the first place at the time when the Europeans came. And so you got to understand the relationship and the psychology of Islam in Africa and how this inspired a lot of these, these wars, you know, because the kings would not convert or would not allow them to set up shop. They don't, they feel that they don't have to um, uh, adhere to non-Muslims or be under the rulership of non-Muslims. Mm. And so I'm gonna find that text. And another thing you have to understand is that all religions are inherently nationalistic. Hold on. So all religions are inherently nationalistic. So when you 
have Islam and you're um, studying Islam or practicing Islam, it's a, there's also a nationalistic component to it. And it's based in Islam and Arab culture. When you're studying Christianity, you know, it's based in a nationalistic and a very imperialistic political um, goal. So all of these Abrahamic faiths have a nationalistic agenda. And although those agendas may have worked well um, 200, 300, 400 years ago, today, African-Americans on the continent of North America or in Americas, we have an agenda. And when we're using outdated nationalistic, imperialistic theories and paradigms, it doesn't match up. So that's why we're not effective. It's not because we don't have the ability to be effective. It's just because we're using outdated paradigms that haven't worked for decades. So we have to look at everything as political and not just emotional, not just as a religion. Believing in God is political. You know, having a faith is political. It should, have, it should have a purpose to it. If your only purpose is to make it to heaven, then you're, you're no good to us. If, you, if you're waiting on God, then you're no good to the struggle because you have to actively get up every morning and make a decision to fight against racism and white supremacy. And when you are stuck in the Abrahamic paradigm, your nationalistic goals as well as your political goals are different. So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I, um, it probably seemed like we're switching topics now, but earlier uh, it would have been better to bring up this um, thing about semantics and uh, pragmatics <clears throat> when we're actually on that, on that subject of uh, people misunderstanding uh, each other and everything like that. But there has been some questions uh, in the chat. So I don't know if you all still wanted to uh, entertain those or um, take a brief moment and just uh, educate people on the importance of semantics and pragmatics and uh, give an example. Um, I guess we could take a few questions and then we can go into pragmatics and thematics because I think that that's important to conflict resolution <laughs> and commu better communication. All right, I, I was trying to keep up, but I probably had to scroll up. Um, it's going so fast. Uh, but a lot of times what people don't realize is that a lot of people are in the chat talking to each other and really don't have a question for us. So it's hard to kind of filter through all of all of that and, and uh, see the questions. So um, just for future purposes, for those of you who have questions in the chat, you should you should. Um, you should uh directed to the Amara squad media that way that way it'll highlight your um it'll highlight your question for us to see we can see it better that's just for future reference uh for those who may not know yeah, um, yeah let, me, let me shout out man uh i see you in there sean bossy clan warrior yeah i'm saying oh I, I see that okay that's a good one i got that one <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, the legacy of Arab Islam in Africa, a quest for interreligious dialogue by John uh, Azuma, Dr. John Azuma. Uh, on page 50, he gives an example of what I was talking about earlier. He says that one ruler, Nafata, uh, from 1794 to 1801, literally imposed a ban on Hassa conversion to Islam. So the Mosi clan wasn't uh, the only ones who had such a ban. You know, once they understood what Islam was, it was like, no. You know, so he made a, a declaration to ban Islam, you know, for Hassa speakers. Or rather, a particular version of Islam is espoused by one preacher turned jihadist, Uthman Don Fodio. So people got to understand who that person is um, from 1817 and asked all male converts to revert to the traditions of their fathers. Nafata viewed the wearing of turbans and veils, Fulani nomadic dresses in that context, as a challenge to the system he represented and banned their use. Because it's just like what Sister Naya said, you know, uh, it, it's nationalistic. So once everybody adopts Islam, they adopt the whole culture. So now everybody's wearing turbans and long, you know, uh, dress skirts, whatever you call them. And oh, a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, dyeing their beards orange, and there's a whole bunch of craziness. Black and mom, so, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, let me find it again. Uh, Nafata, the ruler, uh, the Hassa ruler, viewed the wearing of the turbans and the veils as a challenge to the system he represented, the indigenous system, and banned their use. These measures taken to safeguard the tradition, the traditional Hassa way of life were in turn seen by Don Fodio as religious intolerance and persecution of the religion, leading to confrontation and jihad. So when we talk about all those Hassa Muslims, they weren't Muslims in the majority because, you know, they had an intellectual conversation with, with, with Islam. It's because... Uh, Don Fodio committed, uh, uh, used this as an excuse to um, commit jihad. So, you know, this is how they look at it, is that any, it's just like with the Jews, any critique of the Jews, they, they call it anti-Semitism. And so their whole narrative is that the world hates us and that the world wants to punish us. And so they use this um, uh, not accepting their faith and their way of life as persecution against them. And, and by their tradition, this gives them, um, um, this validates them committing jihad, you know, saying against uh, governments and people who don't want to adopt their way of life. This is why you can't have Islam in Wakanda. This is why you can't have Christianity in Wakanda. You know, we have to be clear about these things. That's a but fact. I just wanted to end there. I mean, there's more examples, but that, that one is uh, one of the ones that stood out to me. Yeah, right, and this is why you, this is why you see, um, if you study, um, like the Moors is a great example, and Islam is out of those two religions comes this nat nationalistic agenda of sovereignty. So you hear black people now today, totally disconnecting themselves from Africa and. 
you know, our African ancestors because they want more of a nationalistic agenda in America, which is good. But the problem is you have to be sure that your nationalistic agenda is based on your current needs and your culture today, not based on Islam culture when Muhammad invaded Africa or based on Christianity. You want to make sure that it's appropriate today and it's dealing with our issues today. Mm. So I just want to point that out too. Hey man, that shit like a, nah, let me stop. <laughs> Look, watch this. Watch how all of a sudden, if you say something about the monolithic religions, all of a sudden uh, you're no longer spiritual. You know what I'm saying? You're godless. That, I mean, I find that to be so going interesting right there. So why is it that you got to be a Muslim, Christian, or Jew to be spiritual? Why is it that you got to be a Muslim, Christian, and Jew, you know what I'm saying, to have a God or a personal God or whatever? Why Why? Why is that? You know, how is it, why is it that you could be a real black atheist, right, but then not be spiritual? You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 basically, people don't even understand what the hell they're saying, what words they're using. People are not understanding that religion is cultural, okay? And, and it's put together by cultures, human beings. Human beings wrote books. Human beings, uh, you know, like uh, documents to say, you know what I mean? Um, man made God, right? Dead prayers, you say, man made God out of ignorance and fear. You know I mean, for what you don't understand, you just make it a God. <laughs> so, hey man, look, be spiritual, man, for me, is controlling your food, clothing, and shelter, right? And following custom and traditions that you design that will help you survive in your environment, man. Taking care of your babies, man. You know what I mean? Keeping things a hundred. You know, that's spirituality to me. So, you know, like, I know y'all pointing the thunder and lightning at me and putting the spells on me, the hexes. I know. But you one thing for sure, boy, I got a lot of Christians praying for me. Boy, we're going to pray for you. You know, I give more prayer than anybody. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy people. Yeah. So, you know, where you at, Wuja? You got something to say? Are you good? Where we at? We about coming to the end, ain't Well, um, I'll be, I could be very brief, um, but I think it's important to understand because this 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 moves towards because uh, we just we basically spent time describing things you know and and we gave a um references to things that we should be doing but it's also along those lines uh conflict resolution or how or um how can we better communicate with each other because as we said earlier or as i think Osar said it that we react emotionally to these questions and things um and it and it and it's, it stagnates us. You know, we get caught up in in these conversations out of emotion, and we're not thinking of these things logically, and uh, really, really attacking the core of, of the problems to bring about solutions. So anyway, um, I'll just be real brief about semantics and pragmatics. I, I believe that these two things are. Why your phone? Uh, why why your thing messing up? What you do? Oh, you can't hear me. Yeah, it's not, you, you, as soon as you start talking about. Uh, the thing your phone is the thing start making this crazy noise. Um, okay, can you Hold on, I wanna I wanna I wanna quote something real quick. All right, I said let me let me uh, bounce out come right back in. I don't know what happened to my mic. Let me 
Well, they, they put their hex on you just now. Yep. <laughs> right, you probably got to log off and log on. <laughs> put that hex on them. Oh, y'all talking about that anti-golf stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, there's a, uh, I'm just going through my On This Day app on um, Facebook. And so, you know, it, it posts the, the phrases or the comments that you posted on that day, you know, from years back. And so I posted this quote from um, Oba Akinzua. And he says, I would rather serve my God in a Benin way. I would rather worship him in a Benin manner. I will sing songs of praise to him in the Benin custom, unless it can be proven to me that he doesn't understand the Benin language. And I think that is uh, uh, underlyingly critical in terms of you know doing things our own way and not adopting um the ways of foreigners like if you could prove to me that god doesn't understand the benign language then maybe i'll you know abandon my language and customs in a way that i see god you know saying for your foreign deity and i think there's a very profound statement i'm gonna requote that again uh or repost that again on facebook but go ahead i'm sorry Cook that again where the world's nahisi at man i can't get on Hmm. So, okay. Interesting. I don't know if Ben wants to slide through. All right. See, he might want to slide through and say something. I don't know if Nahisi wants to slide through. Get something. And so, you know, for a quick recap, I think we touched on all the ideas and, and, and stayed to the framework. And, you know, I just like to shout out uh, MBK, man. You know, I'm a fan of their work. I will continue watching their work, um, you know, looking at it, enjoying those videos. You know, so shout out to them brothers. You know, y'all keep, you know, keep grinding it out, man. All right? I mean, keep grinding it out, man. Y'all do what y'all do, man. And I appreciate what y'all do. You know, I'm shouting out the Massey clan. Uh, I really, really appreciate them right there. Like, they, they putting in their work. Uh, they writing books, writing articles, and they just doing that the right way, man. So, you know, maybe I'm just biased because I'm a Massey. You know, maybe I'm biased, but hey, you know, it is what it is. So, family, you know, shout out to everybody, Dagger Squad, man. Uh, Mo, where you at? All right. Uh, where you at, Garfield? You know what I'm saying? Black African Power, um, Dagger Squad. Um, make sure y'all subscribe, man. Subscribe to um, Real Black Atheist on Fire, man. Man, subscribe, man. Subscribe to. Um, I'm a raw squad meet. There you go, Ben. Massey clan warriors. You know the crimes, there's a fine. Hey, peace, brother. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's good, brother? I can hear oh, you. Oh man, just checking in, brother. Yeah, oh, man. You, you had some good points, man. I know you wanted to jump on it. What's that? Right, can I be heard now? Yeah, we can hear you. You're gonna know when to jump in, Ben. Go ahead. Go ahead and let go uh, so I can get to a better area. All right. Go ahead, Wujah. Where you at? Um, all right. We still? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Look like we were off. Can y'all hear me? I can hear you. I don't know what's going on with, uh, with my, my thing now. I can hear you loud and clear. 
I ain't loud and clear. All right, as long as you can hear me, it's all right. Let me know if it, if it gets messed up. Okay. All right. So real quickly, um, you know, uh, I, I touched on this before, so you know, I'm going to be brief this time because you know it's, it's late as well. But it's very important for for people to understand uh, semantics and pragmatics, and basically to give a very brief definition of the two and the difference is that uh, semantics is deals with meaning both uh deal with meaning but semantics deals with meanings of words themselves and meanings of the words within a sentence regardless of context whereas pragmatics is more broad and deal with the external meaning uh which which considers context all right and so just to give a quick example of um of a difference uh between let me just give you an example of a sentence uh if i if i just say crack the window and can i still be heard yeah what you want okay. me to talk while you talking i can do no, it no 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 just making sure all right so so <laughs> listen if i if i as example if i say crack the window then there's a meaning of that sentence all within itself you know for each of those words within that sentence crack the window um now if it would now uh, that would be semantics the individual meaning of those words and then the sentence okay now pragmatics would be the difference is that it, it would take extra context and surroundings uh of those words that would be considered so for example if i say crack the window and the context is that it's stuffy in the room then you'll know i mean to open the window but if i say crack the window and it's not stuffy but somebody's trapped somewhere you will break the window you see so pragmatics and semantics would you know it's just an, a quick example of the difference between the two and and like i said it's it's more that, that could be said about that but i think that should is sufficient for people to understand um what those are so um the reason why it's important is because a lot of times when we argue whether it's on social media or personal lives business relationships or what have you 90 percent 85 to 90 percent of all arguments are based on miscommunication there's really only about 10 percent of real valid bumping of heads or conflicts uh and this is pretty much um global i mean you, you could look at it on a micro and a macro scale even of different nations warring against each other but then uh, with that you got business interests and stuff uh as well but in general, about 85 to 90% of our arguments <clears throat> is because of mis miscommunication. And because we're not telepathic creatures, we use language as a tool to convey meaning, to have a meeting of the minds. And when, when that is off a bit, then you have a uh, conflict, you have uh, problems. And so what I just wanna show real quick it, is to put this on people's minds to, to just start paying attention to this. You know, this is not a, uh, you know, a whole course on semantics or pragmatics, but I just want to show you uh, something to uh, give you all something to think about. Um, one of those things is is the notion of, of a word like, you know, we, we grow up and we, we learn English or whatever your mother tongue is at a very young age. And you learn uh, the language, you learn how to speak and communicate to your parents, household and your friends, neighbors, community, et cetera, through time. And so we take for granted 
what it is that we're actually doing and what it is that we actually call language and call a word and so on and so forth. So on my screen, I don't know, um, is this being shared? Yeah, okay. All right, I see it. Okay, so on my screen, I have uh, a word. And so our our immediate notion, if I ask someone what's a word, most people will think of a word as just one thing. You know, a word is a word. You know, and then it kind of be hard to define, but you'll know what it is because we use them all the time, every day, all day. And so it the definition will elude us. It'd be real slippery. But when you really, really analyze it, a word is not just one uh, thing. It is actually three things. And so what you see on the screen is, is an explanation of those three things. So what we're calling a word is a uh, mental construct on one side, and then there's a whole other side, like, two, like uh, two sides of a sheet of paper that are married to each other. You have the mental construct of something, and then you have the form, whether it's in written form or whether it's spoken. So on the screen, I have sound pattern. So I'm, I'm dealing with speech. So when we talk and we're saying these words, um, you're, hearing, you're hearing only one side, but there's a mental construct that goes with it. Now, neither one of those two is a word. The word doesn't come into being until those two separated items are glued together or linked together. So you have to take the two items plus the link, which makes it three. So a word is actually three things. And, and th those links <clears throat> are called signs. And what happens is we have, we, every human being walks around with a mental lexicon in their mind. And these, and what's in your mind are signs. And these signs are consist of, of these three things that I just described. The, two, the mental construct of something, the sound pattern or the written pattern, if it's in writing, and then the link between the two. And so what we call a speech community, the reason why people of, of a speech community can understand one another is because that particular group of people are walking around with the same or nearly the same set of signs in their mind. All right. Yeah, it must have been heard. I got to check. Yeah, I'm clear, bro. Okay. All right. So, um, so that's, that's what, that's what we're doing. And so what we're calling communication or what we're calling language is really, uh, an event that takes place when the signs are matched up and there is a meeting of the mind, you know? And so what happens is when people don't have that connection or the same signs are not, um, are compatible, you have miscommunication. And this is and this becomes a problem. So just to illustrate it a little bit further, um, let me just show you a, an example of an actual word. So now on my screen, I have uh, the word elephant. OK, now what you see on the screen is, is it typed out? But if I were just to say this elephant now, along with that word, in order for it to be a word, that word has. Uh, as its components, the mental concept of an elephant, whatever you mentally conceptualize as an elephant, and usually that is a large grayish, uh, darkish gray, gray animal with a trunk, big ears, and, and weighs several tons. That's your mental construct. And then the sound pattern of me saying the word elephant. 
So the sound pattern of elephant is married to the mental construct. And this marriage is arbitrary. There, there is no reason why the sound pattern of elephant is supposed to or have to be attached to the mental construct of, of such an animal. You know, so so these arbitrary links are, are, are signs that we carry around in our minds and we share them. And therefore, we are of the same speech community. And once you uh, uh, no longer share enough of these signs in your in your mind, then we call it another language or another speech community. <laughs> All right. So now just uh, real quick at the bottom, I have the word elephant. And then I have the mental construct of the animal. Now, at the at the below that, I have the word ndovo, which is a Swahili word for elephant. And then I have a Duluo word for elephant is liech. Now, notice that both of these words are attached to the mental construct or the mental concept of a grayish large animal with big ears and a snout. But we're we're but we're but I'm using two different forms. Uh, of, of that mental construct, Ndovo, which is Swahili. So the Swahili speech community has Ndovo attached to the mental construct. The Duluo speech community has the word or has the sound pattern of Liech attached to that mental construct. And because they share the same mental construct, therefore we can translate. This is what translation is about. I can translate and say Ndovo means Liech. And liech means endovo, and both of those mean elephant in English. Okay, so I am I'm going over this because this is something that is slept on, and and you know it's out of sight, out of mind. Nobody's going to sit here and, and study this stuff unless you know this is something that you specialize in. So this is a specialty, but I bring it up because it's very important for us to move forward in proper communication and knowing how to articulate ourselves. Uh, whether it's in writing, in documentation, scholarly work, or in just basic communication. We have to better uh, prepare ourselves to understand one another and understand what people mean behind what they say. And, and, and it, goes, it goes into uh, key words, these polarized words, such as slavery, such as uh, religion, such as spirit, such as soul, such as God. You take all these polarized words that people argue over, um, We've done that for decades now. We've argued over that time and time again. Now it's time to dig deeper and to get into what's really meant, what's the real meanings behind these different things and what do people mean when they use them. All right, so I just wanted to show that because this was this was the topic that I framed my conversation about what Kanye said under, which is semantics and pragmatics, because if people understood these principles, uh. Most of the most of the arguments about what Kanye said, even if you don't like Kanye as a as a person, his personal life, they wouldn't have been had because you will understand what the points were and what he was saying. Yeah, who the hell would know all that though? God damn, you had to go to <laughs> Yeah, that's a hard one right there, bro. Man. No, but but the thing is, but the thing, the is, thing is, is it's 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 not, it's not hard. hard. And it's something and that now, after you had that little class. No, no, no. But it's it's not it's something we take for granted. See, I, I wouldn't even say it. it's not hard. It's something that we just take for granted. We don't we don't pay attention to it. There's so many things we do we don't really pay attention to. Mm -hmm. But and that's and that's just one of them. 
We take right. it for granted. What's going on, Brother Nahisi? Can't hear you. Nahisi. Yeah, can we wrap this show up, guys? We go wrap this up. We've been going for three hours now. Yeah, I'm wrapped out. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to speak to you. What's going on, brother? What's going on? I'm raw squad up, Nahisi. I'm in raw squad up, man. Man, doing a lot of running around. <laughs> you gonna close this out? How your book doing, bro? You almost work. You almost you getting there? You know, you know I'm still on it. Still on it. Mm -hmm. Appreciate your work, bro. Absolutely, man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Good to call the host. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. All right, what you say, sister? Now, what, what link you got? You want to listen? People ask some questions or get on to something? Or what were you doing, are you? What you? Now yeah. I was trying to just uh wrap it up. Yeah, I was trying to wrap this up, but you know, if anybody wanted to um jump on and you know get some work, we can start an after show. At <laughs> <laughs> the show, get some work. <laughs> Do a three-hour show, then got enough left to finish off anybody. That's funny. Ah. Nah, that's on y'all, man. I'm done. I gotta get up early tomorrow, man. You know, hey, look, I appreciate all the supporters, though. Um, and, and especially I appreciate my friends. All right. I uh, appreciate all the brothers on the squad. Uh call y'all the magnificent eight, goddammit. So, you know, it's it's definitely all good. So shout out to the magnificent eight. <laughs> Here's some t-shirts. Magnificent eight, I'm a raw squad up. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, all right. But yeah, man, Um, yeah, the show was excellent. I appreciate everybody that came through. We had up to 100 people watching. Imagine if we kept doing this on a regular basis. Bet you we'd get them three, four, five hundred people in here, uh, which is good for uh, uh, scholarly talk, right? That's good without a whole bunch of cussing and fussing and nonsense you know what i'm saying so you know uh, i think think uh us doing the show on a regular basis i don't know if we're gonna go this damn long but you know it's all good man the times people need to hear uh good quality shows with good information so i hope y'all brought y'all pens and pads man take notes uh go back into the archives uh support our shows um you know support the groups the mossy clan warriors uh support the dagger squad yeah i mean just support the brothers and sisters that's actually dedicated to bring you some real material. Um, you know, support uh, Voices of Fire, uh, that blog. I guess the sister can put the link in there. Uh, you know, man, Voice of Fire, boy, that thing be on fire. Yes, sir. You know, support Mel Treks. All right. Part one and part two. Part two is episode two Exploring Pre Colombian African, Africa. I mean, pre. Colombian Americas, fault. All right, so y'all check that out. Of course, the first one. Uh, support all the books. Um, Magile Archers, man, support that the book. Y'all go right into umrawsquad.org, right? Get that. Um, support the Shashu, Mighty Meta Nature, uh, translating team, man. They do great work. Absolutely. Dedicated to bringing those primaries to the community. This is something that just don't happen like that. Uh, you know, support them, Dagger Squad, 
know what I'm saying? And, and, and hey, man, make sure y'all check out Sarnetta TV Awards, man. Uh, July the 7th. Uh, we're going to be in that building. All right. Um, it's going to be a hell of a, a hell of an evening. All right. going to be fun. Uh, you can meet, uh, get to meet some of the people that actually support us. Uh, get to kick back. Have some fun, man. Let our head down, man. So that's going to be an excellent event. We're going to be on Broadway. I ain't never been on Broadway before. So that's going to be uh, something interesting to do. You know what I mean? So, hey, you know, I'm very, very appreciative of the way the community have treated us over the years. And I, and I mean that. All right. So we're going to keep teaching. You know, we, we chilled to get because we got a lot of personal projects going. We kind of chill for a minute. You know what I mean? You know how we do, right? We chill for a minute, right? That way y'all can see what the real level is, what the level is. So everybody raising their game up around here, right? Because uh, if you don't raise your game, you always get caught. You feel me? So we keep raising our game. Everybody else around us keep raising our game, man. And the community will be stimulated properly. You know what I'm saying? We base our thing off of scientific literacy because with scientific literacy uh, gives you a greater chance you know what I'm saying? Of navigating through this natural world. So anybody else want to say something closing? How about you, uh, Wuja? Chief um, X, I see you, Chief X. I see yeah, you, I, just, boy. I appreciate you on Facebook. I see you. Um, you know, I, I, I like interaction. And so, you know, maybe in the future we, we won't be so long so we can also allow for the interaction because, um, you know, on this kind of these kind of shows, we want to make sure that that uh, what we're saying is understood and we don't go off the show. And then, then we see 100 comments about things that we really didn't say, you know, because that's that's what that's what basically happened last time uh, on our last show. People misconstrued what was said, you know, for whatever the reasons are. So if we have people on or, or have a question and answer session a afterwards, whatever it is that we do, it'll just, uh, you know, help eliminate that. Oh, hey, I just I, what I what I would what I would like to say is, man, uh, I really appreciate uh, Sister Kaba, man. She'd be in that chat room battling. All right. Getting everybody links in. You know what I mean? All our links, man. And she do this, man. She volunteer. And, you know, we, you, you just it's hard to get that from people. Uh, she helped a lot of groups out. And, uh, you know, Kaba, that's special to do that. You don't got to do that. You can sit back and chill. All right. Done. Mm -hmm.